You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to Composite Two-Star Recruits, the USC recruiting podcast where a couple of one-star hosts talk about five, four, and three-star prospects and everything in between. I am your one-star host, Chris Trevino, and as always, I'm joined by my podcasting partner in crime, Hurricane Martinez. Gerard, we made our return for a big show last week after what felt like several months off. Very popular show. We're back again. How are you feeling getting back into the swing of things? Yeah, we were a little rusty last week. It didn't feel like months away. For me, it felt like days away, but... <laughs> it felt like months to me. It didn't saying. feel that long to me, but it definitely, uh, you know, kind of talking about the porthole and uh, NIL, very complicated, fluid situations. We're in this new era of college football. So that stuff is always, uh, it sort of hurts your head, you know, when you're talking about it and you're trying to project, you know, how things are going to shake out as we move you know, through this, uh, this kind of turbulent time in college football. It's a very, it's, it's, it's wild. It, it's going to be something that, you know, we look back on and say, wow, man, you remember that? I'm sure when you had beat writers that covered college football in the eighties and all the craziness that was going on with SMU and some of those other schools, I think now it's probably just magnified by probably 10 because you have the internet now and social media and everybody has an opinion and everybody's getting out there and uh, and putting uh, some type of spin on, on what they think should happen or is happening. And uh, some people are, you know, just completely novice in terms of you know, covering things and, and adding to it. So it's just layers and layers of, uh, of kind of craziness. And we don't know what it's going to look like, you know, five years from now, you know, let alone um, 10 years from now, you know, where we, we have a decade under our belt with, uh, players getting paid and um, this the, the transfer situation and whether it's, you know, it, it, it's good for college football, whether, you know, college football can, can survive, you know, it can kind of sort of eat itself alive. And at the end of the tunnel, there's always that possibility, I guess, you know, that there's a fork in the road and it's either college football maintains uh, it's, it's sort of amateur um, the, the, the emotional investment that people have in it because they went to those schools and they have that connection to it. Or it goes the way of a farm system where, you know, it's the Rancho Cucamonga Quakes uh, version of college football. And uh, we, we totally lose uh, the college football that we knew from, you know, uh, since, you know, the, 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 the 60s and 70s going on to this point in time. Gerard, waxing poetic so early in the show, we haven't even gotten to the cold open. And you said this wasn't going to be a strong show, Gerard, going into this. But here you are spitting facts off the dome. And I there's think not gonna... a lot. There's not a lot of just things happening right now. I mean, we come away from a show where we had all those commitments coming out of the transfer portal, and this past week has been pretty quiet as far as that goes. I mean, there's been 2024 offers. There was a small junior day, so it's really just um, sort of a, a a maintenance sort of podcast. Just to you know, hey, you know, this is clean some things on. up. Yeah, clean yeah, exactly. some things up. It's not necessarily like a lot of. Um, you know, clear subjects to talk about. So we tend to meander a bit when we have these sort of podcasts and we do them weekly and there's not always like a lot of news happening. 
So we'll see uh, how this one goes. We'll see how this one goes indeed. But we do have some things to talk about. As you mentioned, the small junior day that they had some transfer stuff. Roderick Pleasant is coming off his official visit. A ton of new offers, not just in 2024. We're going to focus mainly on the 2024 ones. Some Polynesian Bowl updates from Ryan Abraham and five stars only uh, Jared Perez out there in Hawaii. We also have a big sort of NIL recruiting, maybe an inflection point in, in, in the course of this whole NIL timeline with the Jaden Rashada saga that we do want to touch on, even though it's not particularly USC focused, but it does focus on NIL and what's happening in that space. Some transfer target list stuff to, to hit on. And Gerard, we actually had a podcast on the first day, not the first day, but the week that the transfer portal opened this first window. And today is actually the last day to jump into the portal before the window uh, later on in the season. So we expect some new names to hit in the next couple of days. But if you want to get in the portal, you have to turn in your paperwork today. I'm, I'm correct in that, right? Yes. Yeah. Today is the last day. And um, it's not that the guys that are in the portal now won't still take visits after this point. They're still be recruited and what have you. But in order to actually be in the porthole and to do those things as a transfer, uh, you have to announce that the wait until May 1st through May 15th, which is the second window. And just two little points that we have to make uh, before we jump into the cold open. For one, we had a new five-star review on the Peristyle podcast, Apple podcast review system, whatever you want to call it. But we had one for us, and I just want to read it to you, uh, Gerard. It comes from Farkas Sucks. Uh, not really know. I don't really know what the, the background or context of that name. But Farkas Sucks gave us five stars. Five stars for two stars. Highlight of my week. And feel unmourned, unmoored when they skip a week or two. A lot of love for the shows, but two star is the best. Like the young blood, can't wait for the twenty four hour live show and some Hurricane Ten K merch. So thank you so much for that five star <laughs> review. Farkas su- sucks. I really appreciate it. And our last note before we jump into the cold open, as always, is a huge thank you to the official sponsor of the Composite Two-Star Recruits, Meredith Schlosser, the number one real estate agent in Los Angeles. Seriously, if you're thinking about you know, selling your home, buying a new home, or even renting, go with Meredith Schlosser and her team. You can learn about more about her and her team at www.meredithschlosser.com. That is S-C-H-L-O-S-S-E-R. And you can follow her business Instagram at Meredith Real Estate. Now, Gerard, cold open. A little bit different today, a little bit USC related, a little bit UCLA related, because we're going to start talking about a big move for a former Trojan, Kyle Ford, wide receiver, former five-star recruit signee for the Trojans, is moving on across the way to Westward. He committed to UCLA in a very interesting saga is how it's being interpreted by USC fans. You know, I've seen some USC fans being like, you know, it was a it was a tough decision for him. You know, I know he was a Trojan. Saw the writing on the wall with this USC offense next season and the wide receivers that they're bringing in. That's what he wants to do. That's what he wants to do. And a lot of other people are like, no, screw him. It's over. He's dead to me. How could he become a Bruin? So 
two varying different sides of this whole Cal Ford equation, but officially going to be a Bruin for next season, and which should be a f- even even more intriguing matchup uh, in the Battle of LA in 2023. Yeah, I kind of split down the middle. I mean, I understand where if you're a Trojan fan and you're wrapped up in your fandom, you feel like Cal Ford's a traitor and he's uh, going across town to a rival. And if you you know, are a Trojan and you've, you've bought into being a Trojan, then you hate everything about UCLA. And how could you ever change your mind about that? And then on the flip side, the real world aspect of uh, going to UCLA and getting a good education and being close to home still. And uh, certainly probably knows a lot of players on the team. So he probably felt comfortable uh, from a football standpoint. I mean, you are dealing with the new quarterback and, uh, you know, five star Dante Moore, who is a big time player, certainly. And a guy that um, a lot of people are excited about in Westwood and they have a reason to be. Uh, but you know, you're going to have to build a little bit of rapport there. He's going to have some some growing pains as a freshman, and that's going to make it, you know, more difficult for the wide receivers at UCLA to be able um, to really, you know, showcase themselves as opposed to if you would have stayed at USC, you know, you've got uh, Caleb Williams, the returning Heisman Trophy winner, and certainly we saw last year, it doesn't take a whole lot of injuries or a whole lot to happen for you to, to hit the field receiver you know you're getting into their their three deep basically at wide receiver at some point during the season and you have that ability to showcase yourself I think Kyle Ford maybe just felt like you know they were recruiting over him with guys like uh, Dorian Singer there might still be some receivers that they're looking at out of the porthole uh, we're going to see you know if any names pop up from this window like Chris said um, they the, the the teams themselves the schools themselves have uh, I think 48 hour period to, to actually put those names into the portal so sometimes you may have uh, some some names that linger past today uh, that pop up officially uh, in the portal. And then we have the May period, which USC may look at some receivers. But Kyle Ford, you know, he played well in spots last year. He was one of their only true bigger receivers. You know, he's not really a big receiver from the standpoint of, you know, if you're comparing him to a guy like Drake London or David Osbury or Patrick Turner or even, you know, Dwayne Jarrett, he's uh, – 6'2", you know, but big in terms of being like a 220-pound receiver, strong. Great uh, blocker. Decent, decent run blocker. Um, and, uh, you know, like I said, one of those guys that was kind of a unique body for USC at the wide receiver position. So uh, he goes to UCLA. You know, that's C.J. Williams and Kyle Ford now uh, gone off the roster. And so, you know, you see the wide receiver room changing a little bit. Neither of those guys were huge impact players for USC last year. And uh, USC does pick up Dorian um, Singer, who was, uh, you know, a really good possession receiver for USC or excuse me, for Arizona. Um, that's now going to play for USC and uh, a guy that, you know, is, is is an interesting player in terms of great hands, great spatial awareness, uh, runs very good routes. Not a really good yak guy. He's not a guy that's going to you know catch the ball and do a lot after like a bubble screen. Um, he, he's, he's, he's a possession receiver, but he's not very big. And so that's going to be kind of an interesting thing to see how he works, you know, in that spot for Jordan Addison, because that's what I would imagine USC sees him as, as as sort of a replacement for Jordan Addison. But then you look at the guys that they're bringing in from high school ranks and uh, Makai Lemon and Zach Branch, and I think both those guys are going to be hard to keep off the field. So you you might really see that combination being more of what 
um, replaces Jordan Addison than even Dorian Singer. Dorian Singer is a little bit just different of a player. He's he's a bit more of a, a Robert Woods type. Maybe not as athletic though. I don't know that he's that fast. So we're gonna see, you know, how how he works in USC's offense. I mean, I think he'll do well just because he's he's got so many guys around him that are good players. And, and certain Mario Williams that wants to stand out. This is going to be a big season for him to be able to really kind of become a guy uh, with Jordan Addison moving on. Um, and of course, we all look forward to uh, uh, Marvin Harrison Jr. Um, you know, joining the team at some point. Right? Oh yeah, Marvin? yeah. Obviously, that that's still. <laughs> Still to come, you know, that'd be a big event when it happens, you know, so just, yeah, be, be on the two, stay tuned for that. And I know someone's going <laughs> to run with this as, you know, uh, gospel. Someone's going to not see through the, the sarcasm of what we're saying right now. And yeah, Marvin Harrison. It's sarcastic. It's sarcastic <laughs> and we're just having a laugh, but um, it's, uh, it's interesting, you know, the things that we've heard about that and some of these guys that are leaving and you know it is questionable you know when you think of where Kyle Ford was on the roster and sort of what he did last year and and the potential of being you know like I said a unique type of player in that wide receiver room you know they don't have really any big receivers so I thought okay you know he could be a guy that could could really sort of push into the the starting lineup maybe um because he's a little different and and he offers uh some some unique attributes to to the wide receiver position that you know maybe they need a little bit more size in the wide receiver position and it definitely helps in the run game if you've got some good run blockers and and he and and Gary Bryant is another guy that's transferring out uh, we kind of forget about him because you know he announced he was going to transfer then he said he wasn't going to go to the transfer portal uh, he said he was going to wait till spring but now he's you know in the transfer portal he's taking official visits actually took an official visit to Miami. Uh, this uh, past weekend, um, his dad actually uh, sent me a picture of them, and I actually tweeted that it was an in-home visit because it was one of those pictures where it was his little brother and uh, and and Gary and Mario Cristobal, and it looked like such an in-home visit picture. You know, like you don't usually see those type of photos on official visits. You see them on uh, in-home visits or what have you. So I wasn't really thinking about it, and I was talking back and forth with his dad about a few other things, and I posted that, and I was like, wait a second. Wait, was he was he in home? Because I I wasn't I was like I don't know if they could be in home right now. And he's like, no, this is at uh, some hotel there uh, in Miami. We're 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 visiting Miami right now. And I was like, oh gosh. So I had to make a correction on that tweet. But that's another guy that you know, good run blocker, Gary Bryant, kind of an underrated run blocker coming from Corona Centennial. You have got a run block, and um, so they're losing him as well. So that's a you know that's a five former five star. Granted, you know, had two uh, ACL uh, surgeries, uh, and then C.J. Williams was four star, and Gary Bryant, who's a high four star. So you're losing all American out of high school. That, yeah, yeah, that wide receiver room, and um, you know, you get Dorian Singer, who's a, a proven commodity. You know, had 60 plus uh, catches last year, and and obviously a really good game against USC. Uh, again, one of those guys that sort of plays like he's six five, but he's not six five. Um, and uh, and we'll see. You know, if there's there's some other guys that that come in, but certainly I think Lemon. And branch, and we'll see what happens with Kobe Lane. You know, the six four, one hundred ninety pound wide receiver from Mesa, Arizona, uh, Red Mountain, a guy that you know we continue to try to get more information on and, and figure out what he's doing. You know, he's gone back and forth. I think with ASU and USC behind the scenes, and um, I think there's also some academic questions there. So we'll see what happens with him with, with the shakes out. But I, I think that you know Branch and Lemon 
are are big time players and are guys that can definitely push for a lot of playing time. And maybe at some point, if you have an injury and they're able to get their foot in the door, might be guys that just end up playing a lot and, and end up starting too. So, you know, of all those freshmen that USC has in that 2023 class, uh, the wide receiver position, I think, is one of them where you've got two guys that can actually, you know, maybe not at the, the opening of the season, maybe not the first two games, but, you know, we start to get into like, you know, fourth, fifth game or what have you. I, I think there's a possibility that both those guys could end up uh, getting some starting reps. And don't forget Taj Washington also, you know, projected to come back as well. Played really, really well last season, probably developed the most out of anyone in terms of that wide receiver room. And he could be in for another big season, take another step forward. So lots of mouths to feed for that wide receiver room and just a lot of talent oozing out there. So yeah, you're not surprised to see guys leave. I wouldn't be surprised if maybe another person left just with, with all the talent and maybe USC is still shopping for at least one more wide receiver, maybe a bigger body kind of wide receiver. If they're not able to, Sign Jacoby Lane, you know, him being six foot five and, and unique in, in, in terms of anyone else they have on the roster. So it's going to be interesting how that wide receiver room develops. But if nothing else changes with the wide receiver room at this point, USC still in phenomenal shape with that group of guys. Uh, Gerard, very quickly, were you in Frisco when Kyle Ford had his like breakout on the national stage? Frisco. Oh, Frisco, Texas. The, the opening. All right, man. I was thinking of San Francisco. <laughs> no, what? No, no, no. Yeah, Frisco, Texas at the opening. Yeah, we were there uh, when he had uh, a really dominant um, opening and uh, just was like unstoppable. Yeah, he had he was unstoppable seven on seven and and had uh, gosh, I don't even know how many touchdowns he had in that one day. And um, and he was very good, you know, for Orange Lutheran as well. He was a very good player for them as well. Uh, not quite as dominant, but that was one of those things where you know, obviously, your quarterback situation is always a question mark a little bit in high school and and what you're able to do there, um, you know, came out with Ethan Ray and the people forgot, you know, Ethan mm-hmm. Ray was uh, a highly uh, thought of uh, tight end um, in that class. That was the class where they got Jude Wolf and Ethan Ray. And, you know, we're still waiting to kind of see what happens with either of those players. A lot of people kind of felt like Ethan Ray may end up being a defensive or offensive tackle down the line, but he's still playing tight end for USC. And Jude Wolf, you know, basically didn't play last year because of, uh, uh, what did he have a foot injury? I can't remember what the, the specific. Injury yeah, it was, was. It was a foot injury. Uh, he's on his foot, yeah. a guy that a lot of people, you know, look forward to seeing. They felt like he was going to be the, the starting tight end for USC uh, last year and, and just uh, never really came back from that injury. So we'll see, you know, how, how that, that really that sophomore class, I mean, you look at the wide receiver position, you know, you had a, a really sort of stacked sophomore class uh, in terms of eligibility. That is, with uh, Kyle Ford, Gary Bryant, Taj Washington, Michael Jackson, uh, the third, Mario Williams, uh, Brandon Rice is a is a is a sophomore as well. Uh, Jordan Addison was technically a sophomore, a redshirt sophomore. But um, yeah, I think uh, you know with that that kind of backlog of uh, of sophomores, um, like you said, I, I wouldn't be shocked if if maybe another one of those guys left. Um, it is interesting because you know you you had that group. That that was also the group that sort of stepped up when George uh, when Jordan Addison went down. You know, mm-hmm. you had Kyle Ford come in, you had Taj Washington come in, and you had Michael Jackson come in. That that was the group that was sort of the second team, the second unit, and all those guys played well at different points 
uh, in different games. And so, you know, Michael Jackson's got his highlight tape up there from last season on YouTube. Sometimes that's a little bit of a, an indication that, you know, he's kind of uh, maybe looking around, see if anybody's interested behind the scenes um, in his uh, services. Uh, Brendan Rice played a really good game against Tulane, so it was good to see him, you know, kind of have a little bit of a breakout year. Maybe that was partly what, um, you know, led to Kyle Ford feeling like, okay, am I ever going to be the guy that 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 breaks into the starting lineup if Brendan Rice is is that guy? And and that I'm sure there was a little bit of thought process that went into that because Brendan Rice is the only guy on the roster that, quite frankly, has the same kind of body, you know, relatively. And Brendan Rice got that starting job. Um, last season, you know, he was, he basically transferred and he was the starter and he's been the starter and it's been a little bit controversial because Brendan Rice has had some games where he's dropped some passes, but against Tulane, you know, it's probably his best, his best game as a Trojan for sure. Um, and then behind him, you've got Kyron Hudson Ware, who, uh, who was also sort of in that group of guys that came in as that second wave. Um, but he sort of jumped around a little bit as, as being a guy that, you know, early in the season, it looked like he was right there with like the starting rotation and he was getting reps. And then I don't know if he got banged up or what have you, but he kind of disappeared and then he came back in. And so he's kind of floated around a little bit. And that's really the only other guy they have is, a, I guess, a quote unquote physical receiver. Right. I mean, I guess you would say Kyle Ford, Brennan Rice and, and Kyron Hudson are the only three guys that are really bigger possession type receivers that, you know, can mm -hmm. body you up. Everybody else is, is really a smaller, faster guy uh, that uh, is using speed and routes more than anything else to, to be able uh, to make plays uh, in the passing game. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, if we talk about Marvin Harrison Jr., he's more of a Jordan Addison type. He's not a guy that's going to be a big receiver either necessarily. So, um, yeah, we'll see how the, it develops if that's something that, you know, even USC feels like they necessarily need. And the in the wide receiver position because we talked about this before you know Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma a lot of those guys are really successful that developed into NFL guys for him as a sooner those guys were all six foot six foot one they didn't didn't have a lot of big six four six five receivers uh, certainly Oklahoma does not have nearly the tradition of that type of profile receiver as USC does you know USC is kind of known for the big receiver going way back you know Mike Williams was kind of like you know, the, the, the first really like oversized, you know, 6'5", 230 pound wide receiver. But even before him, Keyshawn Johnson, you know, was a good 6'3 uh, receiver. So they've had big receivers throughout that have been highly successful at USC. But for this offense, I don't necessarily know that it's a necessity that they have to have that guy in the offense. Yeah, you, you don't necessarily need that guy, but it was be a nice weapon to have if you have someone kind of like that. It's good for the run game. I mean, yeah. it's I, I know that. At, at one point, I remember having a conversation with T. Martin, who was the offensive coordinator, and we were talking about receivers, and there was, I don't know, a guy or two that they weren't really looking at. It might actually even been the whole Jadon Mickens uh, fallout where, you know, they had uh, Jadon Mickens, uh, who ended up, you know, going to Washington, and, and he actually had a cup of coffee in the NFL for a while. I don't know if he's still in the NFL, but he was with the Bucks for a while. But he was out of Dorsey High School. USC got an early commitment from him. And at some point, I think early in his senior season, uh, Ed Erdron or somebody went to go see him play and he didn't have a great game. And then they basically dropped him. And I'd seen him play a couple of times. And I was like, you know, I, he's a good player. Like I, he's a very sudden player. It's kind of a little different than the players that you guys have now. And if, and, it, and again, I'm 
I might be confusing it because T. Martin might have actually been a part of the staff the year after that. But I remember having a conversation with T. Martin about smaller receivers, and, and his thing was, you know, look at the NFL and look at the size of the receivers. The biggest issue there, it's not necessarily about quickness. It's not about speed. It's about run blocking. It's like if you cannot run block and you can't deal with these cornerbacks and a safety or somebody that's coming up at the line of scrimmage, you might have to even chip a linebacker at some point as a wide receiver. And it's like the smaller guys have trouble with that. And so that's why you want those guys that are at least six foot, six foot one. And USC was very much at that point in time profiling wide receivers that were all like at least six foot one and, and, and bigger. So that is an aspect that you have to think about, you know, when you don't have the ball in your hands, what are you doing? Are you able to be a good run blocker? And so that's going to be something that we have to see if they go smaller uh, with guys like Mario Williams and, and Michael Jackson and, and getting away from, you know, the guys that are 6'2", 6'3", 6'4", are you going to have any issues with the run blocking? You know, are those cornerbacks going to be able to get off uh, the edge on you and, and be able to support in the run game? Let's move on from run blocking, if you will, to some speed with four-star Sarah cornerback Roderick Pleasant, who is currently soaking up the sun at the Polynesian Bowl with Ryan Abraham and Jared Five Stars Only Perez, a speedster on the track and a very, very highly coveted cornerback, one of USC's final high school prospects that they would love to get in this 2023 class, probably the one they have the best shot with out of the the handful of guys they're still recruiting out of the high school ranks. He is coming off his unofficial visit for the Trojans, his final one, went to USC right before he left to Hawaii. Uh, I believe he took it on Saturday, got in on Friday or or something like that, and and ended on Saturday for flying out on Sunday. But this one is essentially down to USC and Oregon. You know, he had plenty of good things to say about his trip, spoke to, to Greg Biggins about it. You know, got to talk with all the coaches, Alex Grinch, Dante Williams. Dante has been recruiting him since he was a freshman. Also got to speak with the track coach, Quincy Watts. Obviously, track is going to be a big thing in his recruitment. You know, he said that football is his priority. That is his number one focus out of all things, but does hope to be a first-round draft pick and does want to does want to run in the Olympics. Those are two of his goals. So, you know, things that are achievable at USC. So final visit there. He is going to commit on February 1st. That is his birthday. So a meaningful day for him to commit. Again, feels like a USC Oregon battle, but Boston College, Cal, UCLA are also in the mix as well. But, you know, this could be one that's going to come down to the 11th hour, Gerard. Potentially. uh, Certainly. I think, you know, USC getting an official visit was a big deal Mm -hmm. because he had talked the process of potentially not visiting USC because he'd been there so many times unofficially. And so I think that's always a good sign when they want to look at the program just a little bit deeper and they're going to use that opportunity um, instead of going somewhere across the country and just taking some free visit somewhere else, um, taking that visit to USC and really kind of reestablishing those longstanding relationships that he has with the coaching staff players on the team and, uh, you know, some of the recruits that uh, are committed for the 2023 class. He's very tight with Zach Branch, Malachi Nelson, Makai Lemon. He's very close with all those guys. And that's really sort of a a tight knit group 
And I think that plays into some of this for him, you know, being comfortable at the program. Uh, I don't think he has that comfort level with Oregon, but Oregon's been recruiting him really hard. And Oregon has a, a fairly good track program, tends to be more for, uh, you know, events that he, he wouldn't be involved with. I mean, the sprinter events, I think USC is still, um, you know, definitely got the more prestige uh, from that standpoint. And, and obviously uh, there's some big names coaching the USC track team. And so that's a dynamic that I think, you know, it works well for USC. You know, with Roderick, a lot of people kind of point out, wow, you know, he didn't seem overly impressed by his visit to USC or overly excited about it. But A, he's been down there a lot. B, I think Roderick just having talked to him a lot, you know, just off record and just been around him, he's just kind of not impressed or overly uh, enthusiastic about the recruiting process. Mm -hmm. Pleasant has been around the track and field community a lot as well. And so the hoopla that comes with not only amateur track, but professional track. You're talking about a guy that ran a 10-1, and he's talking about going to the Olympics. So, yeah, I think that he's just not overly impressed with uh, interviews or, you know, all the coach speak that goes on with the recruiting process. I think, you know, he's a guy that is rubbing elbows with, uh, you know, the track community at large, which is, you know, professionals and people that travel a lot and have been around a lot. And I think when you've been around that process, you know, the recruiting process is probably just not as, uh, as, as exciting for you. So, you know, I wouldn't take a whole lot from him, not necessarily showing a lot of enthusiasm about visiting USC. And again, he's visited USC lots of times. So uh, really the question is going to become, you know, does he pick USC or Oregon? We know Oregon's going to try to probably make some 11th hour unofficial visit, sort of Nike pitch to him, say, hey, you're going to be like the biggest guy. You're our next Air Jordan. You know, I'm sure they'll have some kind of spiel where, you know, they're going to have like, hey, you know, him running. And they'll say, hey, look, you know, the jump man. Well, we're going to make a run man. And it's going to be Roderick Pleasant. You know, they'll have something like that. It'll be about NIL for Oregon like it's been for a, a lot of their big time players. And for USC, it's going to be. Hey, you know, listen, it's outside of just uh, football. It's outside of just track. You know, it's lifestyle. You know, our NIL is going to give you the ability uh, to, to have some exposure to the entertainment industry and, and other things. And so it'll be probably a little more well-rounded pitch for him. So it'll probably come down to something like that. Like, do you want to, um, you know, take uh, the promise NIL? Of, uh, of, of Nike and Oregon and everything that comes with that? Or is it more like, you know, the relationships you have at USC, uh, the, the vibe you have at USC, staying close to home. And then, you know, if you're talking about NIL, uh, maybe a little more well-rounded sort of thing where, you know, USC has exposure to, to various types of NLI um, that uh, might be able to, to be something for a guy that is a dual sport athlete. And I think, you know, we talked about that with Nick Harbour. He's, you know, one of those few guys that, has that cachet with being a two-sport athlete and, and being, you know, kind of like a freakish athlete at that, you know, you do have maybe a, a greater blueprint. Um, you, you, you have a, a more that you can do with that type of personality. And, um, you know, in LA, with, with so many different industries and so many different things that you can parlay into, you don't know really what the ceiling is for, for a player like that. And so Roderick can end up ha having that same uh, sort of potential when it comes to that. So 
Um, you know, I don't know how big that's going to be a factor for him. Um, you know, certainly there's uh, a lot more, uh, you know, kind of question marks as to a younger guy and, and, and what track brings to the table, um, even from a professional standpoint. You know, a lot of people have asked that of Nick Harbour, and you have to ask that of Roderick as well, especially Roderick, because, A, he's faster, you know, in terms of times. And I think, you know, at his size, it seems like, you know, he's a little more viable long-term in track and field. You know, with Nick Harbour, it's going to be a question of, like, does he just get bigger and sort of outgrow track where he can be competitive, um, you know, running professionally? Uh, with Roderick, that's probably not so much of a question. He's only about 5'10", you know, 180, 185 pounds. And so, you know, even for, for, for that size, he's kind of big for track and field. So you can imagine Nick Harbour um, running sprints and, and how he stands out. So I, I think that's, you know, obviously a big question for him, you know, in terms of, you know, do you want to be professional and, and, and how much do you want to focus on track as, uh, you know, it, it kind of goes on here. You know, he's going to get into the nines here. That, that's, that's serious speed, you know, that's, and that's potentially, you know, a junior Olympic type speed. Um, so we'll see. I, I will see what, uh, what, what, what that brings um, with, uh, like I said, with, with NIL and everything off the field, how that uh, sort of um, culminates in his decision and, and what's really important for him, you know, moving forward. That is world-class speed indeed. And I think, you know, talking about Roderick, I think it's easy to move into our next topic of conversation, which is kind of the Polynesian Bowl. And again, we're not there. We've just been getting updates from Ryan Abraham and five-stars only Jared Perez. But Roderick is there and someone who is also there with him and is recruiting him as we speak is Zach Branch, you know, USC's five-star wide receiver signee. Not quite as fast as Roderick Pleasant, but has similar kind of speed. He's in that elite level. And Zach Branch actually was the winner of the fastest man at the Polynesian Bowl. I don't know how Roderick did not qualify for that. Maybe he just had a bad run. Maybe he just didn't feel like running. Maybe he's like, this is beneath me. This is beneath me. I, you, you pose no challenge to me. But Zach Branch has been heavily recruiting Roderick Pleasant and Deuce Robinson as well, who arrived uh, yesterday, I believe. And actually, Ryan Abraham put up an interview of Zach Branch interviewing Roderick Pleasant. If you remember, Ryan Abraham did something similar uh, several years ago at the Polynesian Bowl with Talanoa Hufunga interviewing Panay Sewell. Obviously, that ended up being a very good interview combo with Talanoa being named an all-pro recently. And Panay Sewell was a high first-round pick in the draft. So very good. Perhaps this is the next iteration of that group with Zach Branch, Roger Pleasant, both elite-level players. But Zach Branch doing his part right now in Hawaii to recruit Roderick Pleasant. And if you haven't, you should go check out that interview with Zach Branch showing off his personality in interviewing Roderick Pleasant. Yeah, Zach Branch, I think, you know, top recruiter for USC. You know, a lot of people, I thought Malachi Nelson would be that guy, but I think Zach Branch has probably been as uh, vocal for USC as a committed recruit as anybody in the 2023 class. And in terms of, uh, you know, Zach Branch versus Roderick Pleasant, I don't think Roderick ran. I don't know 100%, but... There was something about his cleats that were bothering him, uh, apparently, with Roderick. So I think maybe he, you know, his cleats weren't up to it. He's just like, no, we're not going to risk, you know, injury or... It just feels uncomfortable. So 
yeah, I, I don't think anybody's, I mean, obviously nobody's beating Roderick <laughs> in, a, in, in 100 meters. Um, you know, the times they, 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 they speak for themselves, you know, that's legit real times. We're not talking about some hand, uh, some hand time, 40 yard, 30 or 30 yard, 38 yard dashes, you know, downhill sort of thing. Um, those are, uh, legitimate times for, for Roderick. So I don't think there's any questions about that, but yeah, Zach branch certainly very fast in his own right. I think his top time was like a 10, three, three, uh, as a junior, uh, or actually as a sophomore. Cause I don't, he didn't run last year. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, he's, he's got legitimate speed as well. Uh, probably a little more football fast actually than, than anything. And he's been lighting it up, you know, the all-star season. He was uh, MVP for his team at the Under Armour game. Um, and I think has been, uh, you know, one of the highlights for the USC committed class uh, in the games. You know, Makai Lemon, really haven't heard a whole lot about him. He's another guy that's just, in these type of events, these type of exhibitions, he's not going to to really uh, be too serious about that stuff. You know, I, I think Makai. Which is fine, is, which is fine. Makai is all about business. He's about putting the pads on. And when it counts, and, and we've seen him in the games where it's important for him to stand out, he's been that guy. And so, um, yeah, I, I don't think uh, that's really too much of an issue. Um, you know, the, the linemen will kind of keep a, an eye on them. You know, Amos Telelele, you know, how he plays and develops. Obviously, this is a huge jump in competition level for him, having played at Santa Clara. Uh, you saw him destroy some some guys that were some Christian Some children. Gerard Martinez's. Yeah, they were uh, uh, not not necessarily like a Division One CIF caliber players. So that's going to be something that he has to sort of you know to develop and, and get used to the speed of of Division One football for him. But certainly, there's a lot to like about him just in terms of his height, his frame, his athleticism, um, and uh, and Micah Banuelos, who's you know a future potential center for USC. And so we'll see how that develops. Um, certainly in the game, you know the Polynesian Bowl. It's pretty laid back. You know, people are like, oh, this is the top performer this day and that day because of one on ones and what have you. But, but it's a pretty laid back uh, practice scene at the Polynesian Bowl. It's, I mean, it's Hawaii. Kind of similar. What was that? I mean, it's Hawaii. It's Hawaii. Yeah. Well, it's, it's similar to, you know, Disneyland and, and Under Armour game. You know, they, they don't really practice real hard and do a whole lot of competitive drills in that All Star game either. I mean, All Star games, you know, the problem is. Uh, in addition to like sort of the format of things is that you now have signing day that's come and gone. And most of these guys are already committed. Um, you know, they're thinking about NIL, they're thinking about all these different things. And I, I think it does take away from that competitiveness that, uh, that you saw maybe, you know, earlier in the, in, in, in you know, 2003 and 2008 and in the, the first all American bowls that we saw, down in San Antonio, you know, where you had Monday, two-day practice, Tuesday, two-day practice, Wednesday was a practice, Thursday's a scrimmage between East and West. And, I mean, there was just so many competitive periods where guys were out there trying to prove that they were a five-star. They were the number one player in the nation. And now it's just – you just don't see much of that. Now these guys are are there for a vacation. They're there to hang out. And they've earned that. But, you know, the format of things is just sort of um, – it's it's – uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It, it's sort of capitulate. Uh, I don't know what I'm, I don't know. Don't uh, anyways, use too big a word with me. I'm not going to know what it means. Capitulate is what I was thinking about, but trying to use it in a active, <laughs> an active way. But it, it's like the format is sort of like the Under Armour games. Like, hey, we want to try to get guys away from the Army All American Bowl. So what are we going to do? We're going to just tell you you don't have to practice here. 
You know, you can come here and you don't, we really don't have to practice. You really don't have to do a lot of stuff. There's only like two days of practice. And then you get to go to Disney, Disney World with your family and everything. And that was how they were trying to compete with the Army All-American Bowl, which was, which was obviously more prestigious. It was around a lot longer. It had, you know, sort of the, the, the reputation. It's like that's where the best players go. So in order for ESPN and Under Armour to compete against that, they had to do something different. Well, Polynesian Bowl comes along and is like, hey, man, Forget all that stuff. You want to just come and hang out on the beach in Hawaii. That's what we're doing. So the kids, you know, are like, hey, I want to go to the easiest, most laid back, um, fun experience I could possibly get. And But what does that lead to? It leads to the game, you know, the week not being all that great. And then the game is, is, is not always that great either because obviously you haven't practiced a whole lot. So your installation of, of offensive plays and defensive plays, you've got to keep it simple, stupid, because – there's just uh, there's just no time that uh, these players actually learn any kind of playbook or or anything like that. You know, there's no development there uh, with the high school coaches anymore. And we used to see that the, the Army All-American Bowl, like you would actually see some coaching. You would see some development. You would see these guys playing at like a whole higher speed than they played in high school. And there was actually something to evaluate there. There's just not nearly as much to evaluate now potentially if they get rid of the early signing period and we don't have it in December at least uh, maybe you know that changes a little bit guys are still uncommitted and um, that that sort of changes you know how motivated they are to go out there but there's also a lot of guys that like just don't want to look bad too so some guys just don't even show up because they don't want to look bad out there and they don't want to get criticized and that's an aspect of this as well especially again when you're talking about NIL and guys are you know trying to trying to hold on to their reputations and uh, you know all those early offers that they got uh, which is a whole other aspect of NIL which is kind of a joke because you know if you're really trying to get um, uh, if you're building your brand off of like your sophomore film um, if companies are dumb enough and boosters are dumb enough and all these people are dumb enough to to put a bunch of money into a kid that's, you know, literally like 15, 14, 15 years old and what he did then and not what he's done lately, then you deserve to lose all your money on that investment, you know, and that's that's something that people are going to learn real quick. That's something that college coaches have, have figured out over the years. And and that's why we always talk about, you know, USC needs to recruit the best senior high school football players in the nation. You don't want to recruit the best sophomore high school football player, you know, and then there's two more years before he gets on campus. And You've seen his um, trajectory uh, and potential sort of drop off <laughs> the face of the earth. And that happens sometimes. Some guys, they peak their sophomore years. And the guy that you're getting in college is the guy that was a sophomore in high school. And, and that's not, you know, that great of a player. So um, that whole aspect of things is you have to think about. But with NIL, you know, these kids start to get a little bit of a sniff of somebody saying, hey, you know, I'll give you a few bucks for this or that. And all of a sudden it's like, well, I'm, I'm trying to not build upon my sophomore film and those scholarship offers, which mean absolutely nothing these days, by the way, this doesn't, doesn't matter. Offer. I, I mean, I used to say that, you know, scholarship offers were like flowers on a first date anymore, or, you know, you just, you just, you're trying to make a good first impression, but it doesn't mean you're getting married. It doesn't mean you're committed at all. Uh, An offer anymore is not even that it, it's, it's really, it's a hello. It's, it's, it's just, um, they don't mean a whole lot, but, Again, those people that are not in the industry, they haven't covered recruiting, they don't know the ins and outs, and it's just somebody that has a brand and they want some, you know, high-profile 
recruit to, to be able to, to, to push that brand or what have you. Yeah. Maybe they come along and they're like, Hey, who's the, who's the best guy right now? Well, there's this kid in the 2025 class. He's already got 40 offers, blah, blah, blah. And that company, that, that service, that product says, Oh, well, Hey, we'll get this guy and we'll pay him, you know, $50,000 for this spot. Well, now that kid is like, wow, I got to hold on to that. You know, some kids are going to say, wow, I, I made $50,000 for this. I can make even more money if I go out there and I prove myself and I have highlight, you know, type of plays, whether it's seven on seven at camps um, or or in my games. But you're going to have a lot of parents and a lot of kids that are going to go, holy crap, I need to maintain this right now. And I, I'm not going anywhere to look bad. Like I could potentially go to the opening, I could potentially go to some seven on seven tournament and I get lit up and there goes all my, you know, all my, all my, all my, my, my endorsements or, 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 or potential Points. of endorsements. And that's sort of the thing that we're going to be battling with from a recruiting standpoint, because we, from a camp standpoint, the circuit last year sucked. It sucked. Like the seven on seven tournaments we went to, there were so many that were just bust because there was teams that had pulled out. There was teams that were supposed to have this guy and that guy, and none of them showed up. And it just seemed like guys weren't coming out. The guys weren't competing. And I don't know if that's still a bit of remnants from COVID and, and what have you, or it's the NIL creeping in and overshadowing some of this, where some of these guys are just a little bit reluctant to showcase themselves because they're afraid they're going to have an off tournament or they're going to have a bad camp and whatever piddly NIL deals that they have, which, you know, I say piddly, but it could be up to, you know, it could be maybe $80,000, $100,000 for like two or three deals when you're a sophomore or junior. And that's big money for you. That's huge for you. I mean, you're, you know, like I said, you're a 15, 16 year old kid and you're making that kind of money for your family. That's huge. So you want to duck any potential, uh, tournament or any potential event that makes you look bad and people start saying, oh, this guy's overrated. And all of a sudden, you know, those deals start to fade away or they get pulled or what have you. So that's a whole aspect of this with all-star games, with camps, with everything other than the actual games themselves. I mean, shoot, even the games themselves, though, uh, uh, Texas, uh, what was it? Jadon Blue, the running back, decided to opt out of his senior season. So what is that? You know, that's a little, little bit of like, okay, I understand you don't want to get hurt, but I mean, you're opting out of your senior season as a high school football player. Like that's a bad precedent. Remember Nico was, Nico was going to opt out of his senior year as well before they yeah, were like, hold was, on, was, hold on. Yeah. That was kind of an interesting thing with him jumping back. And yeah, there were some issues there with CIF and what have you. And yeah, that, and I, and I think, you know, because we saw, what happened to so many players with the COVID year where, you know, with CIF, they only played five games that, that year, or, or I mean, it wasn't five games. It was more than five games, but five games was what, what PAC 12 played, but it was sort of a, a shortened season to some extent. And there's a lot of guys that didn't play, you know, they opted out Corey Foreman, you know, didn't play that year. And you saw what it did to their development. You saw what a year away from football and they're training. I mean, those guys are still training. They're still lifting and everything but just not playing real football, it definitely hurts you. It definitely, you take a step back. And we've seen that with a lot of those players that, that didn't play that year. And so, you know, it's, it's just interesting with all this stuff where these families and kids are trying to weigh, you know, stock and potential earnings uh, versus 
going out there and just competing and letting, you know, the, 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 the chips fall where they may, you know, going out there and, and Hey, listen, maybe you're not that guy, you know, maybe if you go to camp, you get lit up, maybe you need to get back into the lab and maybe you need to start working on your game a little bit. Don't start worrying about what you're not going to have because, you know, you, you, you had a, a bad event, you know, get better is, is really what it, it's about. But I know a lot of people, they don't have that mentality. It's, um, you know, they're, they're, they're more worried about what they don't have than what they do have. This is why I want you for Trevino Tech, 10K, because you spit facts and you wax poetic. You did it at the top of the show, and you did it right now. And you told I us how to you really feel. when we don't really have good, uh, clear things to talk about. Like, I feel like I'm We have good, clear things to talk much. about. I'm going to yeah, give you the next whatever. clear like, thing to talk there's about. There's not a lot going on with the, with the Polynesian Bowl to really get into, like, you know, like one-on-one matchups or anything like that. Um, you know, there's just, uh, you know, not a whole lot going on to talk about, even with Roderick Pleasant, he took the official visit. But, you know, he didn't have anything that he said that was really, like, sort of interesting to latch on to. We already know, you know, it's going to be USC. It's going to be Oregon. Maybe, maybe he shocks us and goes to Cal, but probably not. It's probably USC Oregon, and we've seen this show before. We know what Oregon's going to do, and we know what USC's trying to do. So it's like, you know, do we need a podcast to talk about this stuff? Probably not. <laughs> well, we do need to talk about USC's past junior day, keeping this show rolling and off. There's and another subject on that's the... sort of uh, ambiguous and. Not necessarily full of like breaking news, but it's something that happened, and that's something as uh, scribes to history we have to mention that there was a junior day, not a super big junior day at USC, around maybe 20, 20 kids, something like that. Not just twenty twenty four prospects, but there were some twenty twenty fives and some twenty twenty sixes that took in the event. You know, you had Jason Mitchell, the big athlete out of Sarah, Joey Olson, the or- Oregon tight end commit. Three-star Clackmas offensive lineman Devin Brooks all the way down from Oregon. You had some big names from St. John Bosco, the biggest guy on campus. U- uh, USC's priority offensive line target, Brandon Baker, creeping up into kind of five-star status uh, at a modern day. So there were some names on campus. You know, there was some definitely not a 100-kid day, but, you know, some some quality guys there. And I think one of the more interesting things was – Jason Mitchell, and we've talked about his potential position for the future. Is he a defensive back? Is he a maybe some sort of hybrid linebacker, edge rusher kind of dude? Is he a wide receiver like his dad? His dad was and never really got the sense of that watching. I went to several Sarah games last season and never really got a sense of, yeah, that guy is this. That guy is definitely a wide receiver. That guy is definitely a, a defensive back. But it seemed like at this event, this junior day event, he was kind of hanging around the linebackers. You know, Jordan Lockhart in Kingston via Asa, Villa Amu Asa. I butchered that probably again. He's my new Mateo Uyangalale. But Kingston, they were all together taking photos there around Brian Odom. And now it's kind of like, does the Trojans kind of see Jason Mitchell as a linebacker uh, on their recruiting board? So that's very interesting and something that I think is probably maybe the headlining thing that I took away from from junior day. Yeah, I think, you know, watching Jason Mitchell, when I saw him, I think we're receiver. And I think that's the position that he's always thought about playing and wanted to play. 
the USC originally, when they offered him, they offered him as a defensive back. They were talking about him playing cornerback or maybe safety. I thought some of that was just because Dante Williams was his initial contact, and Dante Williams is the guy that was recruiting Sarah at that point. And so it sort of made sense. And I wasn't sure if, you know, maybe that was just the impression Jason was getting, or that was really like USC's plan, but it kind of turned out to be USC's plan. And now we're, we're talking about maybe linebacker as well. And so, yeah, that's interesting. He's certainly an athlete. He's certainly uh, a big kid um, that could put on weight and what have you. Um, but uh, linebacker is very much a projection. Um, and he's not necessarily shown anything about, you know, playing near the line of scrimmage, which is is obviously what you want to see from your linebackers, you know, disengaging blocks around the line of scrimmage, fitting in the run game. Um, so that's that's definitely uh, interesting. Um, also interesting is Kalakamas, uh, three-star offensive lineman, uh, Devin Brooks, USC's recruiting him as a center. So he's rated as a three-star. I think he's the number three player in Oregon uh, as an interior offensive lineman. Uh, he plays some tackle in high school. He also plays the interior, but USC likes him as a center, 6'4", 290 pounds. Um, I think it's intriguing. I think it's definitely uh, a good uh, position for him. It's going to be a transition of sorts. Some people kind of looked at that and said, well, isn't he a little big to play center? No, no, not at all. Not at all. I mean, I think the one thing about centers um, that I, I know coaches do like a lot of coaches like centers with long arms. And because you're, you know, down your stance, a lot of times you only got one arm initially because you're hiking the ball. Right. And so if you've got a blitzer or somebody right out, you got to be able to get your arms out there quick. And a lot of times that means, you know, the longer the arm, uh, the more space you're able to take up. And so a lot of guys like longer uh, limb centers. And so uh, maybe that's what they see with Devin Brooks, but 6'4", 290 is, is certainly not a, a you know, a, a, a unique size uh, for uh, the center position. I know Chris O'Dowd at USC was a center. He was 6'5", 315 pounds. So he was even bigger than Devin Brooks. But um, that was interesting. That kind of surprised him as well as surprised me that they were recruiting him in that position. He has a really good relationship with the staff, though. He really likes USC. Um, he's going to be at Oregon this weekend. Then he's going to go up to UW. So definitely seems like he's going to be a West Coast type of football player. And, uh, you know, we'll see. We'll see what happens with USC. I think USC has is, is definitely made him a priority, you know, despite, oh, he's only a three-star, this, that, and the other. Uh, we talked about this um, when Josh Henson was hired by USC. You know, I've talked to some of my guys at Texas A&M. They said, you know, Josh Henson goes after the guys he likes. You know, there's going to be some highly rated uh, linemen that may be local or, or visit or what have you. And they just don't have a lot of traction with those guys because Josh Henson just doesn't like them. It doesn't matter about stars. kind of goes after the guys he likes. And so, you know, Devin Brooks seems to be one of those guys. They went up there. He and Zach Hansen, uh, Brooks at his high school to, for an evaluation uh, there a few weeks ago. So not only, you know, coming down here for an unofficial visit, but they were going up there to go see him. And that tells me that, you know, they really like it. So that was a little bit interesting in terms of the positions and, and where USC is projecting certain uh, players at certain positions. Uh, like I said, you know, there was some 2026 guys. Samu um, the uh, 6'3", 220-pound linebacker from uh, Losinger was, was there. Um, that um, you know uh, were, were some of the younger guys uh, that have just gotten scholarship offers were there. Not a lot of scholarship offers actually came from the event. So again, when I say you know not really 
Mr. Roberts from the C, no commitments from the end that we know of at this point. Uh, so, you know, it wasn't necessarily a, a news-breaking event. Um, they'll have more junior days here coming. You know, I think it, it, it's a little misleading. You know, it, it, it was a small get-together of about 20 back in the early days of Pete Carroll. You know, I mean, for the past really almost 10 years, um, schools have decided to go into like smaller little junior days. And I think some of it has to do with it's easier to just get in front of everybody and the, to, to, you know, get FaceTime with everybody. But also you don't want to leave anybody out. Because sometimes it's like, oh, I wasn't invited to their junior day. Invited to that junior day, and then you know that guy's uh, being good. Yeah, Gerard, you're kind of you're you're kind of you're kind of breaking up there. So I'm just gonna take the reins from you. Also, that was in attendance is five star Allen Texas tight end Davon Mitchell, who was the number one, who was rated currently the number one tight end in the 2025 class. He was also there. And just to go, something I, I reported on the board is just I, I heard they did a really, really good job with those three, not three, but the same the same John Bosco guys that were up there, Kingston and Jordan Lockhart, who he's been really pushing hard for Lockhart, who is the Ole Miss uh, commit. He's been Ole Miss commit for a, a long time and Kingston. And I'm not saying that Brian Odom has made like, quote unquote, Kingston his Tackett Curtis for uh, 2024, but certainly Kingston, it feels like, is arguably maybe the top priority when it comes to the linebacker linebacker board because Odom has been, you know, they have a good relationship and Odom has been, you know, recruiting him very hard since he arrived. And Kingston has certainly, you know, was rated highly and then had the knee injury and then, you know, was coming back from that. And he's certainly now gotten back on track for the, for the trajectory of where he was in terms of, you know, Bosco coaches calling him possibly the best player to ever come out of St. John Bosco, which is saying a lot. So Kingston definitely could be in for a monster senior year and could really rise back up the, the rankings now that he's fully healthy. And it just seems like Odom is sort of zeroing in on him as being, you know, his number one guy in the 2024 class. Yeah, I think, you know that brings up the, that brings up two subjects to talk about. One, okay, okay. why can't USC recruit St. John Bosco? <laughs> Which is a question that we've been getting over the course of I don't know the last probably six months. Obviously tied into the recruitment of Mateo Ungalale. Uh We talked about that. I mean, we explained. We, I had, a, we, we had a question. We specifically we had a question, had a about, question about it. But you explained it really well, Chris. I, I think you explained, you know, the Clay Helton era. And in St. John Bosco and their trajectory as a football program and them all of a sudden kind of really in the last, you know, 10 years, 15 years becoming a power in the Trinity League and not being necessarily like modern day. And that modern day goes back to the like 80s and 70s where they've been, you know, sort of that blue blood program of the high school football ranks. St. John Bosco is a little newer. And in that time period, USC is not necessarily been the USC of old. It's really a lot of post Pete Carroll USC uh, that those kids at St. John Bosco has seen. So, you know, there's, there's that element to, can they recruit Kingston and, you know, make an impact with him and get him where they've, you know, not been able to, to be, you know, very successful in recruiting St. John Bosco players. The other question that comes to mind is, okay, is Kingston the number one guy because Dylan Williams decommits? 
or is Dylan Williams still the number one guy, even though he's decommitted? Now, I talked to Dylan Williams. He did not make it to the junior day, uh, which is interesting because he's local and he's the type of guy that you would would have been an easy trip. Would have been an easy trip. Would have been an easy trip. And, you know, one of the more surprising decommitments that we've seen uh, over the past couple of years, really. I, I was really surprised Dylan Williams decided to decommit because he'd been, A, very vocal. He'd been down at USC a lot. We always talk about recruiting, um, actions speak louder than words. And his actions were that he was very committed to USC. He was one of the only commits that actually went to one of their camps last summer. So um, I talked to Dylan, and you know he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not going down. And I was like, are you still looking at USC? Like, is USC still under consideration? And they are. Um, but he just wasn't going down. And it was like sort of, I guess, a, maybe more of a last minute thing. Um, some of these kids that were invited, you know, Jason Mitchell actually originally told me he wasn't going. And I asked him on Thursday and then it was Friday afternoon. He's like, I just talked to the coaches. Yeah, I'm going to be down there. And the same thing with Samu Maola. He, he was like, I, no, I'm not going to go. I'll probably go up there sometime in February. And he's like, oh, hey, the coach just called me from USC. And so I'm going to go up there. So this was not like a junior day that had, you know, that date had been there. And these guys were invited like weeks ago. A lot of these guys were telling me like they were they were invited that Friday. So that's something to keep in mind as well. Uh, with Dylan, he basically gave me that impression that he had other things going, uh, but he's still considering USC. And, and to me, you know, I, I think Kingston is up there. I think Dylan is number one for me right now in California as far as uh, the linebacker position for the 2024 class. I mean, I don't think we've seen the best of Dylan Williams yet. I think he's just starting to physically peak and um he has a lot ahead of him and he's starting to look like a dude to me and and it's a dude that usc needs to land i, I don't care if you got jacket curtis last year this is i've said it before and i'm going to keep pounding the table on this if you want to be a championship program you do not use the well we got this guy last year and he's a good player and if other guys are scared to compete in it that doesn't matter anyway. We'll get somebody out of the porthole. BS. You stack your freaking positions. You stack the quarterback position. You stack linebackers. You stack running. You stack everybody, man. You look at what Alabama does. You look at Georgia. You look at Ohio State. You, there's no, well, we got this guy last year, so we don't really need this guy. You need a guy every year at every position. I'm sorry. That's just the way it goes. And that's the way it went for USC when they were winning national championships with Pete Carroll. You, you're, you're one snap away from having to put somebody else in, right? You, we saw no that way. this year. Exactly, exactly. And you've got to sell that. And you've got to have a program that, that really lives up to that next man up mentality. And that's not been USC in, in recent years. There's been a lot of excuses made about, well, it's not that big a deal because two years ago we got that guy and he's only a junior now. It's like, what are you talking about? You don't want to wait until somebody's a junior and then you're going to have to have a true freshman come in and start at that position. That's not championship football. That's not how it works. You have these guys lined up and you do it like Alabama does it. And they just, you know, one guy goes and then he gets drafted to the NFL as a junior. And you've got two guys behind him that are four stars and five stars that are ready to take that position that have been in the system that understand the position, the system. That's how championship football works. That's how you build your culture, everything. So yeah, the mentality is like, well, you know, we got Tackett Curtis, so we don't need Dillian Williams. BS. You lose 
Dylan Williams to Oregon or somewhere else, that's a huge loss, in my opinion, for USC. That's that to me is a is a real genuine bad loss as opposed to like Matteo Ungulale, who a loss, but I think more of a statement loss than a he's just really productive football player, really good football player that is going to make an impact for your for your team, you know, within you know the next two years, sort of thing. You know, maybe he does, maybe he doesn't. Again, I think it was more of you lost a five-star locally at a position of need, and that's just optics-wise bad. But in terms of what he's going to do next year, eh, it's a little up in the open. And I can understand where, you know, the practicality of having somebody come in for Tuli uh, Tuli Pelotu, you're really looking more at the portal in, in that respect. You know, now USC probably need to do a better job of having more defensive linemen that were impact players as freshmen, potentially, um, that were options in the 2022 class. It kind of, you know, they had Edric Hill come in, who was a little bit of a reach during the summer. And then there was Mateo Ngalile. And that was kind of the only two guys really on the board that were the big enough bodies that you could say, okay, those guys can come in and play as true freshmen and contribute. You know, they didn't really have any other guys. So that gets into a question, and, and, and we'll talk about it later, recruiting defensive linemen out of the portal as opposed to high school and kind of what is USC's mentality there? What is their approach there? You know, are, are they kind of giving up on going after guys out of high school because locally you don't have a lot of guys in the West Coast that are ready-made. You have to go across the country and you might have more success actually going out of the portal for guys that can be immediate impact players. A guy like Anthony Lucas, who I believe is more likely to be an impact player for USC next year replacing Tuli Poipolotu then a guy like Mateo Ungalale. My follow-up question is what accent were you doing or who were you mocking with that accent? I was mocking the, you know, internet keyboard warriors okay. that are making excuses. It, it, you know, some of the pumpers, you know, some of the pumpers do make excuses. And listen, I've been making excuses for USC and USC football like the past six or seven years because we try to play devil's advocate here. We're trying to give you a well-rounded, fair view of both sides of the coin. And with the Clay Helton era, there was a lot of like, okay, we know this looks like a shit show, but here's here's the other side of it. Like, let's try to look at the optimistic side of it. And, you know, why are they not getting any offensive linemen? Why can't they recruit wide receivers when they throw the ball 60 times a game and they've got three wide receivers with over a thousand yards catches or a thousand yards receiving? Um, and they've got guys that have gone to the NFL and they've lost all their receivers to Oregon who can't even throw the ball and has no tradition whatsoever of putting guys in the NFL at the wide receiver position. Well, let's play devil's advocate. Maybe it's because of this, or maybe it's because of that. Like, I feel like I should have been charging, you know, like a retainer fee for, for counsel for USC and, and defending them and, and, and why they couldn't recruit certain positions and, and why they lost out in this guy and why they lost out in this guy. And again, we're, we're trying to bring some balance to the conversation, you know, because we know the majority of people are like, okay, Clay Helton is in over his head. Uh, they're doing a terrible job of recruiting. They're not evaluating very well. Uh, some of the guys they're bringing in that are supposedly good players are not producing. So the development is not happening. And then they're reaching on a bunch of guys in Texas that are clearly not the standard of USC football. They're not championship level recruits. They're just guys that you just, they're, they're from somewhere else and the grass is green on the other side and Texas has all these amazing football players and look at the draft numbers. So yeah, 
that means that they're good players and, and you have nothing to worry about sort of thing, right? So you're trying to counteract, you know, what people know, you know, the writing is on the wall. And so from that standpoint, we could sit here and say, well, you know what? Tackett Curtis is going to be a great player for USC. Uh, there's a lot of expectations for him uh, at Mike Linebacker as a true freshman. And that's going to scare off guys like Dylan Williams. But the truth of the matter is a championship team with a championship defense has Dylan Williams lined up, has Kingston lined up. Like they've got plenty of playing time there for good linebackers, right? And so th that to me doesn't really jive. I mean, the truth of the matter is if we're just being completely upfront and honest and going with what it looks like is you got to do a better job and making sure that you don't get guys like Dylan Williams who decide they're going to decommit. Now, again, to bring balance to the conversation, Dylan Williams is just looking at NIL. And there's definitely that aspect for a guy that's committed. And he sort of said it without saying it. Everybody thought that I was just locked into USC and I wasn't looking anywhere around. And so nobody was really offering me anything. And so with NIL now, guys are probably going to not commit as early anymore because there's going to be visits and there's going to be things. And quite frankly, I think it's better for him and it's probably better for the sanity of USC fans if he's not committed and he's taking visits and he's doing all these things. Because, I mean, we all remember what happened and how crazy people went when Malachi Nelson unofficially visited Texas A&M for their little pool party, right? Everybody mm -hmm. went crazy. Everybody was, oh, my God, we're going to lose our guy. Texas A&M is cheating. And they're crying and they're going crazy. And then it, it all ended up not being a thing. And it was never going to be a thing with Texas A&M. We said that time and time again. Texas A&M wasn't really the threat there. It was, okay, they throw him an NIL bone and maybe somebody else like Alabama or somebody else comes in that he really actually has some interest in. And then it gets interesting, right? Um, it never happened. And then, of course, we go to the end of the year. And Losal gets blown out by modern day, which anybody with a brain who's seen those two teams play knew that was going to happen. And because Malachi Nelson didn't play good in that game and he, he ends up getting taken out uh, because they don't want to get him injured. Uh, oh, we don't like Malachi Nelson as much anymore. And we're going to question Malachi Nelson. It's amazing how, you know, with fandom, that pendulum swings so far each way. It's, it's really sort of bipolar, right? It's like, oh, my God, we're going to lose Malachi Nelson. We love him. And then he loses the modern day and gets pulled out of the game at the end. It's, oh, Melka Nelson, well, you know, we need, we need, we need DJ Lagway. <laughs> DJ Lagway. And we'll get DJ into some, uh, some Florida quarterbacks. I mean, really, we're going to be talking show. about him at some point. At some point, we will certainly be talking about DJ Lagway. Let's move on from this junior day and Gerard getting fired up about linebacker recruiting. Let's talk about some new it's offers. But it does not matter. In the end, what Gerard was yelling at me, probably something about Dylan Williams. Before we go into a break, we just wanted to touch on a bevy of new offers that USC's recruiting staff has – not recruiting staff, but their assistant coaches have been putting out over the last several weeks. Specifically, Dante Williams, who I feel like for every offer that goes out, it's, it's Dante Williams. For every five that go out, like three of them are Dante Williams. He's just offering like mad across the country. There have been a ton of 2024 offers. There have been a ton of 2025 offers. There's even been some 2026 offers. So they are hitting classes across the scope. But they did issue a new 2023 offer to the Costa Canyon kicker, Tyler Robles. This is a preferred walk-on offer. I have more about it in the war room for this week. But Tyler is a pretty strong-legged kicker, you know, has some – a 52-yard make in his career, 
Specifically, his specialty is touchbacks, and that was an area that Lincoln Riley specifically noted where they needed to improve in. Tyler Robles, very good touchback kicker. I believe he led CIF, Southern Section, in touchbacks. So, you know, he's very experienced in that. He has some other offers on the table, some lower-level colleges. Some other Power 5 schools are still in the mix talking to him. So we'll see what that happens with that. But definitely USC trying to upgrade their special teams and bring in some more kicker depth, whether that's for place kicker or kickoffs. I think Tyler can help with both of those. So stay tuned for that. But getting to 2024, there are a lot of offers, and we probably missed some offers, but we try to gather up as many as we could. I'm just going to run through these really quickly and maybe touch on some trends I'm seeing or some guys that I've talked to already. But just very quickly, uh, Upper Marlboro offensive tackle Mike Williams, Upper Marlboro edge rusher Obina Onwuka, teammates at uh, Flowers High School, Wes Orange, Seton Hall safety Jalen McLean, Katie edge rusher Logan Thomas, Atlanta linebacker Jordan Burns, Buford defensive lineman Edric Houston, who is considered the number one defensive lineman in the five, in, in the 24-7 sports composite. Uh, Hoshton, Georgia, Mill Creek edge rusher Cole Mullins, Grayson, Georgia defensive tackle Nasir Smith, Powder Springs, Georgia, Hiram athlete Chase Tyler, Ellaville, Georgia athlete Jalewis Solomon, Irving, New Jersey safety Babo Torre. Not sure if I said that wrong. I, I, I apologize if that's not the correct pronunciation. Cleveland, Ohio, Glenville quarterback Bryce West, who is considered a five-star composite defensive back. Temple, Texas, cornerback Selman Bridges, six foot four, long, lanky. Tampa, Florida, Catholic wide receiver Terrence Moore. And maybe the best name that we're going to see in the 2024 cycle, LaGrange, Texas, Troop County linebacker Quay Birdsong, who goes by the Birdman. So just an incredible name to end on this deep 2024 offer list. I talked to a couple of guys on these lists trying to get more interviews, the big one being, you know, six foot seven 315 pound offensive tackle mike williams actually was a teammate of sam green at saint francis academy in baltimore and sam actually called him up and put the phone to gave the phone to josh henson who offered him uh, a, a alignment offer so mike williams definitely trying to get out to a visit this spring definitely usc has a connection there with the sam green uh relationship so be on the lookout for that he is a three-star prospect Plays now in Upper Marlboro, Maryland, which I am from. No, I did not coach him in swimming. But the other big takeaway is USC is hitting Georgia very, very hard. And I went on a run of like five Georgia offers in a row. I think there's like seven of them. But USC is hitting Georgia very hard this cycle, it seems, or at least in this this run of offers. So lots of talented players USC is looking at. A lot of these guys are unranked, and but a quick check through their, their offer list shows that they have some High profile offer. So, you know, 2024 rankings will be updated in the next coming months. So I'm assuming a lot of these guys that are unranked right now are going to have some stars in their near future. But yes, lots of offers, flurry of offers going out, hard to keep track of. I'm sure there's 10 more since we started this podcast. But with all that, Gerard, I think it's time that we take our break. Then we come back. We're going to talk about Deuce Robinson. We're going to talk about five star defensive tackle Justin Scott. We're going to talk about Jaden Rashada. We're going to talk about some additions and subtractions on your transfer target list. And then we got some listener question, as always. Does that sound good? That sounds good. All right. We'll be right back after this break. 
This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. All right, Gerard, how was your break? It was very good, very, very quick, but uh, we are trying to burn through the kind of second half. I guess it would be like the second quarter, really, of the podcast, because we've, we've covered a lot of ground in the first half. I don't think we've got quite as much ground to cover. Depends on, I guess, how many questions we have. Yeah, I might keep questions short this time around, but we'll see. We'll see how we're doing after we get through our first couple of talkas, topics. Excuse me. But yes, not a ton of second half topics. I think the one that people are curious about is an update with Phoenix five-star tight end Deuce Robinson, who USC, early leader for, but USC has kind of fallen off in that recruitment in terms of Georgia surging more so ahead of the Trojans. We had that that big Dodger workout that was reported. We talked about you know maybe if he made that a visit while he was in LA, that would be big, but it does not look like USC was able to get him on campus, which isn't a great sign, Troy. Let's be honest. It's not a great sign that USC was not able to get him on campus while he was in town for his workout with the Dodgers before heading out to the Polynesian Bowl, where she arrived a day late, I believe. And he is planning to sign on February 1st, much like Roderick Pleasant. Now, Zach Branch is also out there in Polybowl, as we mentioned. He is also recruiting Deuce Robinson. But at this point, USC is trying to fight back in position as it comes down to the end for Deuce Robinson. Yeah, a day late in a dollar short, maybe, for USC. Uh, <laughs> we talked about Deuce Robinson before and you know where USC probably falls short for him in terms of tight end utilization, baseball. Uh, those are two big factors for him right now. And so I think you know the expectation for most people is that he's going to go to Georgia. And uh, maybe USC can kind of circle back, make a move with Walker Lyons. He's also looking at Georgia as well. Um, so we'll see. I, I think, you know, it's sort of um, expect the worst, hope for the best with Deuce Robinson at this point. Not visiting USC during the weekend when in L.A. I know he had that workout and everything with the Dodgers. But you figure, you know, he was on campus. The fact that he didn't do that kind of gives you the vibe like, you know, seeing USC one last time is not a priority for him, which you would think if USC was really his future school, the favorite at this point, he would want to do that. I mean, you could you look at it the other side and, and different perspective and, and say, well, no, he's seen USC enough and he's comfortable with USC enough and he knows everything about USC and doesn't have any questions again. But I think if you know it's your favorite school and your favorite coaching staff and it's all lined up for you, you want to be down there as much as possible. That's my read on the situation. Could be wrong. 
But at this point, I think that this kind of solidifies the feeling like he's been trending towards Georgia, and that's probably where he ends up going. Actions, Gerard. Actions speak louder than words. In, in, in case, in some cases, they don't. But a big action would have been taking a visit to USA. Even if it would have been to stop by for an hour, it would have been you know massive in that recruitment. But obviously, that is not the case. Could things change? Change? Sure, things can change. But right now, the Bulldogs have all the momentum, while USC is trying to steal back some of that momentum. But we'll see. You know, if he does end up at USC, you know, I would say. Zach Branch probably gets recruiter of the year for USC's staff. I don't, I don't know if you agree with that. Yeah, I think in terms of engagement and enthusiasm, yeah, Zach Branch is already the number one recruiter for the 2023 class for USC. But this is not a recruitment, and we've talked about this before, it makes sense. Like, this is not one of those recruitments where, you know, we're checking boxes and we're looking at what Deuce Robinson says he wants in a school and then he picks the opposite of all that. This is one of those things that going through the season and doing the recruiting angle pieces for each game, we talked about tight end utilization. And it just hasn't really been there for USC over the past few years. But USC's recruiting angle is, listen, we're recruiting you for what we don't have. We don't have a big receiver. We don't have a tight end with your type of athleticism. And so we're trying to get that piece of the puzzle, you're that guy for us. Whereas George is saying, look at what we've done with our tight end position. Look at how much we throw and showcase the tight end position. So for USC, I mean, Deuce Robinson is an athletic player. He's a guy that plays wildcat quarterback. He does more than just the traditional inline tight end at the high school level. But I think that when you look at a guy that's 6'6", 250, he's not Drake London. He's not a big receiver in that sort of way. He really has the body of a true tight end. And I think at the college level, that's how he's going to mostly be used. Of course, you're going to split him out now and again. And USC, you know, we talked about at the top of the podcast, doesn't have big receivers. They don't have a lot of big guys uh, on their roster, the big receivers. So certainly there are wrinkles where USC could split them wide, especially in the red zone and try to use some one-on-one situations where he's just split wide against a cornerback. And, you know, it's, it's basically a jump ball type of situation, but I think ultimately, you know, run blocking and all those type of things. If he plays football professionally, if he goes all the way through it and plays football professionally, doesn't play baseball, he's going to be a guy that has to know how to play tight end in a more traditional role because that's what you're getting in the NFL. You're still getting guys who are going to line up in line and you're going to have to run block and do those things. And so that's what Georgia is selling a a sort of more of a pro ready type of scheme and a pro ready position that they have there uh, that they've used with their tight ends. Whereas USC's basically saying, look, we don't really have you yet and you haven't really seen how we would use you. And I always think that's more difficult. It's always more difficult to recruit what you don't have than what you do have. Now, let's keep it on trend with the five-star moving into another five-star in the 2024 class. That is St. Ignis. No, that's not how you say it. St. Ignatius. Ignatius. Thank you. I went to Catholic school. I should be able to say that. I am a, a embarrassment. Ign- <laughs> I'm an ignoramus. For not being able to say St. Ignoramus, uh, Chicago, Illinois defensive tackle Justin Scott, who USC got on campus for an unofficial visit during the Notre Dame game at the end of the, se- uh, the regular season, got a big win in, uh, uh, on the Fighting Irish in front of Scott. 
But Notre Dame has actually picked up a crystal ball for Justin Scott, who is scheduled to make his commitment on January 31st, which I believe might be his birthday. Got to check on that. But he's making his commitment on January 31st. So in a couple weeks, Notre Dame has a crystal ball, the local one, the local school for uh, Notre Dame or the, the Midwestern school, the big one. Uh, that has been, you know, recruiting him longest, not the longest, but recruiting him hard out of the Midwest. You know, that would be a huge, huge win for the Trojans to get him on campus. You know, he had a really good time on his visit. DJ Lagway was on campus for that visit as well. USC, as we know, needs big bodies like Justin Scott. They need those kind of big West, big, big Midwest, those Southern kind of defensive linemen as they make their way into the Big Ten Conference. USC... You know, made his top eight. They were firmly in position. I, f- I felt like they were in that top kind of four, the, the top half of that top school list. But Notre Dame, you know, doing really well for, for a region that they recruit really, really well. So we'll see what happens. It'll be a long way until that, you know, commitment is done, obviously. But not not an easy pill to swallow for the Trojans who, you know, were hoping to get some momentum back in the 2024 class. Yeah, you'd have to think him committing this early, it would be Notre Dame. That's basically the local school for him. You know, Chicago, mm-hmm. Notre Dame, uh, that's the biggest city. That's, that's near their college. backyard. That's their that's – their, Anybody uh, who's going to the Notre Dame game, you're probably flying into Chicago <laughs> to go to South Bend. So, yeah, yeah I mean, it, it, it stands to reason that Notre Dame would be the leader at this point. He did have a very good visit out to USC. I think, you know, we talked about that being sort of a traction visit. If you yeah. are familiar with the podcast and you've been listening to us this year – there's certain uh, there's a certain lexicon that comes with the podcast and uh, and traction visit is just something that we've sort of um, talked about being a recruit, which you really have an outside shot at and you get them on visit and you sort of get that traction with him and you build a relationship and you start to find angles to recruit him that that go well with what he's looking for in a school. And so that was really that sort of traction visit for Justin Scott coming out here, you don't get the sense that like he was sold and boom, he's going to turn around and and commit to USC at this point in time. It's very early in his recruitment though. And he's a guy that more than likely will still take visits, probably a few during the summer, maybe some next season. USC needs to develop more good options at defensive tackle for the 2024 class. I mentioned this with Mateo Ungalale Really, Edric Hill was the only other big-time defensive tackle that they recruited in the 2023 class. And so as you've got later in the year, you know, there really were no big-time defensive tackles, interior defensive linemen um, that were four-star, five-star caliber that were really considering USC. Just uh, Jordan Hall from Jacksonville, four-star, was kind of looking at USC a bit. There was some talk that he was going to officially visit USC. Never happened. Um, there was really not a lot of guys that were options to just get on campus. And that's so I think with USC, they have to do a better job of that, getting guys like Justin Scott to unofficially visit during the spring. So you do have the possibility of getting them on campus for an official visit or potentially if they commit somewhere else and they don't come in for an official visit at during the year at some point, maybe even after this season, you have the ability if they start to waver from that school that they committed to early that they may still want to take an official visit and you have that, uh, that date for them uh, later in the year. So you, you definitely want to have just more good players 
that are familiar and have a relationship with the coaching staff. Now, listen, you know, this was the first year that the coaching staff was on campus. A lot of the relationships with recruiting, it seemed like the guys that they had a good shot at, those were kids that they had relationships with at Oklahoma. So you now want to develop those relationships more uh, having been at USC, there's more stability at USC. And so you're recruiting more as a USC coach and for USC, Los Angeles, understanding all the dynamics that go on with recruiting from the West Coast and being on the Trojan coaching staff. And so um, this year, I think that's one of the big, if there's a New Year's resolution for USC in recruiting, it's get more top 2024 defensive tackles on campus, right? Maybe, maybe, you don't land all of them or, or what have you, but you're certainly going to have a better ratio of success uh, visit to commitment if you actually get the guys on campus, if you actually have some 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 relationship and some familiarity with their, their family dynamic, with the people that are influential in their recruitment. If you don't get these guys on campus uh, for any kind of visits, then you just have no shot at them. So I think that's something that's big. But what we talked about earlier in that conversation with Mateo Ungulale and going after defensive tackles and having more high school options at defensive tackle is the potential philosophical strategy, uh, strategic approach to maybe just not going after a lot of high school defensive tackles because you want to go after transfers instead. The line positions are always the most difficult to project because nine times out of ten, and this is especially true on the West Coast, you're talking about players that are you're going to have to put a lot of weight on them. You're going to have they're going to have to get bigger. We always talk about a lot of offensive linemen on the West Coast. They're going to be 250 pounds, maybe 240 pounds. Um, they're guys you're going to have to put a lot of weight on. You're going to have to develop them in your system. And then once they're like redshirt sophomores, juniors, that's when they're going to be physically capable of being able to contribute for you. And that's true on the offensive line. That's true on the defensive line. You're going to have to develop players physically on the West Coast more so than you're going to have to do in Texas or the Deep South. So that means that you also have to project. Okay, you're going to have to project that Chad Wheeler can put on that weight and still be athletic enough to, to, to maneuver at that weight. Where you're not doing that with quarterbacks, you're not doing that with wide receivers or defensive backs. So when you look at that versus going into the portal, and recruiting a guy that's already made Anthony Lucas, who's already got a year of college football under his belt, or another guy that is, you know, been in college for two or three years, and he's pretty much ready made. You know, physically what he brings to the table when he transfers in. That's there's there's an argument to be made. That's where you should be recruiting if you're USC, maybe more so than high school, because at high school you do not have a demographic that is heavy in top defensive tackles. Now, there'll be those guys each year. There'll be two or three players each year on the West Coast that are guys that can make an impact. You know, Mateo Ungulale, potentially, and we talked about his, you know, potential versus his production. But those good players that you do want to get. But in terms of the quantity of guys each cycle, you may want to actually put more into the portal. Now, the downside of that is, you don't necessarily know who's going to be in the portal. The talent pool at that position, it, it may, you know, not be great every year. You, you, we don't really know yet. You know, we haven't seen enough cycles of transfers to get us to get a sense of, okay, there's going to be this many good, impactful defensive tackles each and every year. So you can depend on that. 
you know, there may be years where it's like there's just no good defensive interior linemen that want to transfer from college to college. And then you're kind of SOL because you didn't really recruit anybody out of high school either. So there's a little more um, that we have to kind of see from a data standpoint of, you know, each year, each cycle with the with the transfers. If there's a dependable number that you can get and you can recruit, then you have to look at it. OK, so this is the average amount of guys we're getting out of high school each year. OK, and this is the average amount of guys we're getting out of the transfer portal each year. So the talent pool is this. What would we rather have these kids that are coming out of high school, which majority of them we have to project. They're going to be projects. We're not really sure. You know, we're going to have to put 50, 60 pounds on this kid before he's a really good defensive tackle three technique, as opposed to the guy that we get that's a redshirt sophomore out of whatever college who's 300 pounds already. And we have tape on him actually playing college football. So that's going to be an interesting, like I said, philosophical, strategic debate that, you know, USC probably has to have in their war room as we move forward. I don't think we know for sure right now which way you can go. And it's also true that, you know, it's very difficult to get good, if we're talking about offensive tackles out of the portal and defensive tackles out of the portal. But I mean, you know, you even look at with Jarrett Kingston, there's a good example. I don't know what Jarrett Kingston was coming out of high school. Chris, you can uh, pull that up as I'm talking, but I bet, I, I really doubt that Jarrett Kingston was more than 265, 270 pounds coming out of high school. I know that I think he was a three-star, but he probably wasn't as big as he is now, which I think he's listed at 305. Um, so that's a good example of a West Coast guy that, USC's not going anywhere near Jarrett Kingston as a high school recruit. But now you've seen what he can do. He's got, you know, four years of college underneath his belt. And now he's a ready-made athlete physically. He comes in, he plays right away from you. So that's kind of an example on the offensive line of what you're looking at in terms of strategy, in terms of what you want, as opposed to going after, let's say, Tobias Raymond, where, you know, he's, you know, coming out of high school, 275. He's like, he's like 275, 280 now. So he's actually a little bigger than what he was listed at originally in his 24-7 profile. But I think what he committed, I mean, he was listed at like 255, 260. And so, you know, that's a guy, you know, just as a junior going into his senior year was a, certainly a project, certainly a guy that you have to project and look at and say, okay, do we think he's going to play like this when we get him in the weight room and we put a bunch of pounds on him and, and we look at him with that weight and that height and everything that's two years down. You know, it's all sort of, you're, you're, you're basically pulling it up on a chalkboard and you're hoping that you can develop him physically and that he responds to that. Cause some guys can't hold the weight. Some guys just, you know, they, they just, they just have the metabolism where it's going to be tough to put more than 270 pounds on them. So there's a little bit of a gamble there. Jerry Kingston, three-star prospect, six foot five, 255 pounds out of Ooh. Anderson high school in Anderson, California. Yeah, and Anderson, California, small. It's uh, just, uh, I think it's south of Reading. Um, and that was some of the, the trepidation that I think some sources had with him in USC. You know, he's a hunter. He's a fisher. You know, he and his girlfriend, his girlfriend's from like a, a small school, a small town up there in Washington. And so, you know, there was a little bit of like, okay, I mean, is, is the, the Los Angeles vibe like, gonna, <laughs> is that going to be okay for him? And, and obviously that wasn't a, a huge factor and, and he commits to USC and he's probably the starting left tackle le- uh, this next season. But that's a guy that, you know, you look at uh, early in his, in his college career and, and USC is probably like, nah, you know, he's not big enough. Um, he's a guy that, you know, you're going to have to develop a bit. 
Um, but now, you know, he's, he's sort of a finished version almost of himself. And, um, and he's a guy that can contribute right away. So that's where the debate comes in, particularly, like I said, with West Coast talent. You know, with other schools and other regions, you make that argument with other positions. You know, there may be positions in the deep software. You just don't have those really good quarterbacks, right? You know, you, you don't have Arch Manning and, and, and you don't have the flat earthers that are, you know, godlike in, in their ability to go up the recruiting rankings despite going to any events or, or, or anything like that and playing against, you know, basically middle school talent. You know, you don't have the access to that type of player. And so, you know, you maybe want to go to the portal because you don't want to, you know, get some guy that you're just not really, really sure about and you're going to have to project as a player later down the line. You could just sit back and, and wait for, you know, the best, the best uh, college player that's coming out of, Maybe, you know, even a mid-major. And that's going to be, you know, another aspect of all this. We talk about the, the potential farm system, which the Pac-12 could become for USC. You know, I mean, for the Florida schools, UFC, um, uh, you know, South Florida, Bethune-Cookman, um, uh, you know, Florida Atlantic. Those schools will become, you know, basically farm systems for the Florida schools with this transfer portal. I think the only region where there's not a lot of, decent talent year in and year out um maybe the big 10 you know I, I i don't know like nebraska and 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 notre dame and those schools i mean you've got your ball states and your youngtown states um your mountain unions but i don't know if those schools really produce a lot of nfl guys you know the pac-12 region you still have plenty of those schools that they still produce pac-12 guys and you know if usc is able to win in a big national conference and it's clearly uh, from an exposure standpoint and a resources standpoint, a huge step ahead of whatever the Pac-12, Pac-10 becomes, you know, the Mountain West becomes, uh, then, yeah, they're going to be able to exploit that. And, in, in, you know, any of those guys that fall through the cracks and end up at Washington State or Cal or Oregon or any of those schools, USC is going to swoop in and they're just going to pluck those guys out of the portal, which would be obviously uh, very, very advantageous for them. This is where I keep us on track and keep the podcast moving along at the top of the podcast, I do my little intro and I talk about five, four, and three-star prospects. And then I say and everything in between. Right now, we're going to talk about something, everything in between, not USC-related, but definitely something that is of topic in this recruiting podcast, and that's NIL. And the saga that's going on with five-star quarterback Jaden Rashada, the Florida signee who has been granted out of his letter of intent apparently the gators were not going to pay on an nio contract for i quote 13 million dollars 13 million dollars for a five-star quarterback is that the new going rate i don't know is a high school quarterback worth 13 million dollars that's more than lamar jackson is making per year gerard that is more than jalen hurts is making on his rookie deal that is a lot of money to give for a high school quarterback. So that's a lot of money. And Florida is saying, you know, we're not going to pay that. And I don't know what's going on behind the scenes about, you know, was that where they couldn't get the money? Do they not want to pay the money? I don't know what to the extent of that, but Jaden Rashada has been released from his letter of intent. So he is back on the market for Miami commit. And now we're going to see where does that, where does that go from here? But it's certainly, you could look, look back on this as being sort of a big, maybe inflection point on NIL and high school recruiting and, you know, Florida not wanting to pay that to cut that check. So 
Gerard, just give me your reaction to what has been going on with Florida and the Rashada saga. Yeah, I think that this is one of those sort of benchmark events that happens where, you know, we kind of sort of see how it shakes up and we'll start, you know, over time to get more information on what led up to this. Because, you know, he originally committed to Miami. We know Miami's one of the five families of NIL. And then at some point, flips to Florida, which shocked a lot of people because there was a lot of criticism over the summer when they lost Jaden Rashada to Miami about Florida's NIL. And I think the uh, NIL lawyer, whose name escapes me, but very vocal on Twitter at that point, uh, was critical of Florida NIL, said it was run by a bunch of millennials who really didn't know what they were doing. And that changed over the course of the year because Florida – Certainly, they flipped some guys. Uh, they improved their recruiting class a lot towards the end of the year. And one of the biggest, if not the biggest, pieces of the puzzle for them was getting Jaden Rashada away from Miami. Uh, now, the $13 million, I think that's reported by The Athletic, and they've reported a lot of numbers, which I think are not accurate. I think they're just taking that from sources, people that are you know involved with this, and they're throwing those numbers out there because, again, I think what I keep hearing is that people are throwing those numbers out there that are associated with these recruits trying to get the numbers to go up. So it's like throw a big number out there. And then the next person thinks that that number has to be bigger. And they've just gone up like, Oh, it's, you know, Nico, my, I am Oh, he got 8 million. Okay, cool. So the next quarterback has to get 9 million. And then the next quarterback gets 11 million and it just goes up and up and up when it's reality. Um, the, the, the proven commodities uh, that are college players right now are not getting that much money. So, I, I don't buy that number. I don't buy a lot of the numbers that are thrown out there. But nevertheless, uh, there was obviously a deal there of some sort. Now, when you say a contract, I mean, we're going back to what we've rehashed time and time again about all of this. When you start talking about contracts and guaranteed money, to me, I don't know how you can do that and not also talk about inducement because he was obviously giving some amount of money to go to Florida. He wasn't given some amount of money by some company that came and said, Hey, we really like your game, Jaden Rashada. And it doesn't matter where you go to school. Like let's say beats comes along, right? Cause they've been involved with some of the USC football players. Now there's a relationship there with Dr. Dre and beats uh, because he gave money to USC, the music school, but beats is still just a company that wants to get their product on the heads of famous people. So you look at that and say, oh man, that guy wears beats. They're cool. I want to go buy beats, right? And that's true with any company, Gatorade or what have you, that's an actual corporation, that has an actual brand that they want to further through advertisement and they want to use people that can help advertise their service or their product. And so when you just are generally as a company looking for somebody who can do that, there's no catch of, oh, but you've got to commit to this school. That, that, that's not part of the program. But here, we're talking about a contract to go to Florida. You get this money if you go to Florida. The NCAA says that is illegal. That's illegal. You can't, you booster, private company, doesn't matter. If there's actual written contract there that says this is the deal, then that's not within the rules from what we understand it. So this is a big question that we have. This is goes back to 
Francis Maragoa and all the talk that Miami paid him up front to commit and then gave him more money to actually sign. These are inducements from, you know, what we understand of them. Now, maybe there's some sort of legal loopholes that can kind of get you away from being persecuted. I think the issue is that the NCAA does not have any access to any of this stuff, right? They don't have access to these contracts. They don't have access to these deals. They do not have subpoena power, the NCAA. So the only way a contract like this in reality, okay, you know, in all respect to the athletic, but a real contract that actually says this, this, and this, that is actually used, the only way that ends up in the NCAA's hands that they can actually, you know, say, okay, this is illegal, you know, we're going to have to go after Florida, we're going to have to go after well, whoever, because this is not within the rules, um, is if it ends up in a court of law. Because then then it's got to be the real deal, right? Then, then it's going to, you know, it's going to get analyzed. And if it's just some fake bullshit that somebody puts together and says, oh, yeah, this is true. And this is signed by such and such. Yeah, look at this. See, there's a contract that that's, you know, if that's not religious, uh, legit and real, then it's not going to hold up in a court. So, you know, I think that's the only really way that any of this gets really scrutinized by the NCAA. Um, you know, people will say, well, this is a, a, a booster or maybe it's a shell company that's, uh, you know, owned by somebody else, but it's really just, you know, being funded by boosters. And so there's a little bit of a, a, a buffer there, sort of a, a proxy there. So, you know, they can't, you know, uh, uh, it doesn't go back to the like University of Florida. If it ends up in a court of law, that's all, that doesn't matter. Okay, listen, I'm going to break it to you. USC didn't pay Reggie Bush. I know you've heard that from ESPN and the media. And they told you, oh, USC paid Reggie Bush, and that's why they got in trouble. No, that's not what happened at all. It was a family friend of the Bushes. It was Lamar Griffin, his stepdad. And they had this idea for a sports agency. It had nothing to do with USC. This guy was barely around USC. He was only – the only time he was at USC was after a couple games, and he was in the locker room because he was on the list as being a family friend. And so he was in the locker room. That was all. He never even claimed to be at practices. He never claimed to like hang out in the coaches' offices. He didn't claim to have any other uh, contact with any other players on the team. This was a guy that lived in San Diego who was a former felon that was trying to get an angle on trying to make a quick buck. And he hooked up with a couple guys that had actual money. And he had a relationship with Lamar Griffin. And so that relationship got him to Reggie Bush. And they had this idea like, hey, let's bring them in here. Let's get his dad a job with this new agency, and then, you know, we'll bring Reggie around. I mean, they were really giving Reggie a small amount of money, which, you know, the, the allegations really boil down to what uh, Lloyd Lake, uh, who was the guy that actually uh, was, was the whistleblower in this situation, uh, he only gave Reggie, like, I, I can't even remember what it was. It was like $2,400 or, or $1,200 or something for his car that he bought. And it wasn't the car that Lloyd Lake bought for Reggie Bush. They never even claimed that. It was just the car that Reggie had. It was an Impala, I think it was. You know, not a Lamborghini, not a Ferrari, not even like an Escalade. It was an Impala. And he had new wheels and he had like a, a stereo system and an alarm system or something. And he wanted money for that. And that's what Lloyd Lake claimed he gave him money for. And all of this is completely out of the, the sphere of USC at this point. Where USC got in trouble, according to the NDA, is that they should have known. 
They should have known what was going on. Todd McNair should have known. Yeah. He, Dan, he had a brand new Impala. Oh my gosh. How could he get that? You know, again, it's, it's, it's so, it's such a joke how the NCAA went after USC and what their real motivation was and all the conflict of interest that you had with the committee of infractions. It was all such a dog and pony show, you know, and, and you can read about that on uscfootball.com. I mean, we put up all the stories. Dan Weber did a lot of stuff with the courts. Um, you know, he and Keeley went down there to court like every freaking day for a long time going through this. And Tom McNair ended up getting a bag out of it, by the way, you know, it, it, which, which tells you that if it went to a real court of law, the NCAA would have been, you know, SOL on their, their dog and pony show and, and how they ran that whole investigation. But don't think for a minute that they can't do that to another school if they really want to. Now, of course, there'll be some cynical people out there that go, ah, NCC never gets pinched for that stuff. But at the end of the day, this whole stuff about, well, you know, it wasn't a booster that directly paid anybody or had a contract with anybody. It was this shell pro, uh, this shell company. And listen, if it gets in a court of law and that, and that paperwork starts to get out there. And again, the only way that's going to happen is if there's a whistleblower. Now, but in a situation like this, there could be a whistleblower. because. Either Jaden or out of his family or somebody's going to be pissed off and they're going to give some some information to somebody or maybe somebody on the other side of Florida. They don't want to look bad. So they give information to somebody. You know, this this is that kind of situation that if it ends up in court, then the NCAA has access to some documentation and some financial records. And then it's a different story. So it, it's very interesting, though, at face value. I mean, I don't see how we're not talking about inducement with all this. You've got a contract to go to this particular school, and the NCAA says that's completely legal. The other interesting thing that people have pointed out, if this contract went default the same day DJ Lagway committed to Florida. Now, I don't actually at face value think that there's anything to that. I think Florida knew and felt pretty comfortable and confident that DJ Lagway was theirs for a while. I mean, he took that visit to USC. I think that was just sort of a – yeah, let's just, you know, last minute kind of check out USC. We kind of liked it when we were out there. You know, Caleb Williams, man, he's about to win the Heisman Trophy, big game against Notre Dame. Like, there's reasons to come out. I think DJ Lagway was definitely more impressed with USC than he thought he was going to be, but he still ended up committing to Florida. And I'm sure he's got a great NIL deal as well, but I don't know that that, like, cut in to Jaden Rashada. I, I don't know for sure, but I, I, I don't get the sense that it was – you know, oh, DJ Lagway committed. Okay, well, we don't need Jaden Rashad anymore. Again, the, the schools don't think like that. Like, they want to stack these positions as much as possible. And you want to go and make a playoff run. You need Jaden Rashada and you need JJ Lagway. And then you need the next guy and the next guy and the next guy. So I don't get the sense that that necessarily is why this fell apart the way it did. Um, but it'll be interesting to see if there's further follow-out behind the scenes from it. Because, again, I think that's the only way – that the NCAA gets involved with this. Gerard, you went in there. Hopefully you know, I went, didn't cut out during that. We've had some No, you went. You, we've had some big issues with uh, connectivity. You might have heard in the first half of this uh, the show. I apologize. But that held up strong. It, it was like the internet was like, oh, let him cook. That's what it was. It was like, <laughs> let him go. Yeah. He's going in right now. We just need to st- take a step back, quit effing up this podcast with the internet, and let him go. So I, I applaud you for tackling a very maybe nuanced situation that has a lot of uh, maybe not finger pointing is the right word, but just a lot of things going on inside yeah, of it. Fluid, yeah, it's fluid. It's nuanced. It's complicated. And it's something that, um, you know, we're going to be talking about a lot 
because it's just, you know, it's, it's everybody's still trying to figure it out. What do you think of that situation? I mean, you, we've talked about this a lot and obviously I wrote, I wrote like a bunch of stories about, you know, the original bill that California was passing fair play, fair pay for play. And so I, I kind of know, and I've talked with people that are involved with NIL with players, you know, with, with Caleb and other guys and have gotten some of their opinions and what have you. And I mean, there's other aspects of this to even talk about when we're talking about player unions and talking about, you know, collective bargaining that has to go on um, that, that we, we haven't even gotten to when we start talking about like NCAA football, the video game, and like, how do you determine what each player gets? There's no collective bargaining there. There's no players ink for college football. So there's a lot of like stuff that just, it has not developed over the year cohesiveness, but having listened to all this, like, what's your take? on a situation like this and like how it impacts the future of NIL and, and the development of, um, you know, star players uh, committing this school or that school based mostly on what they feel they can get monetarily is, is, is in, in, as opposed to like, you know, I like this school's uh, business school. I, I feel comfortable around the coaches. You know, I like their scheme the best. I think it sort of boils down to this big question of for a school or I guess a booster or whatever uh, NIL entity, whatever you want to call it, is it worth it? It's looking at, you know, this case, Jaden Rashada, you know, you don't believe in the $13 million price tag, whatever, you know, I think we can assume that it was millions of dollars to some extent. Yeah. Whatever whatever, Whatever that price is, let's say, $8 $8 million, whatever, $8 million to give a five-star quarterback. Like that's setting the market for, you know, Nico, please help me with the last name. You know, my I am my Leva. Nico, you know, his deal was reported upwards to like $6 million. I believe that was the number thrown out to, to last year. So it's just this price of, or thought of, is it worth it? We're going to see, cause I feel like the 2023 class is kind of that first class where it's been opened up to an extent especially with nico and that that six million dollar price tag being available like that's the number that's been thrown out and even this 13 million dollar number is just going to stick with jayden rashada wherever he goes it's just going to be the number that's thrown out with it we have to it's going to be fascinating to see what these guys do at the college level like specifically for nico you know he's already on campus already taking snaps was in the bowl practice or whatever He's going to have to carry that that weight of that tag, that price tag on him. And what if he doesn't play to that potential? You know, what if he's not that guy? And I'm not saying, you know, I'm, I'm wishing he's not that guy, but I'm just saying there are times that there are sometimes that you have this immense amount of hype on a player and it doesn't doesn't plan out. That's fine. You know, we, we've seen that happen with a lot of guys, but there's never been that happen and there's been so much money tied up in it there's never been six million dollars there's never been eight million dollars there's never been 13 million dollars tied up into one specific player and what that does long term for, for the psyche yeah. yeah for the psyche of that player and even just the locker room too like what like let's say he eventually did end Good up point. signing Jader, Good point. What, what if Jaden rashad did end up signing with Florida, like let's say they got it straightened out, but he was holding out, you know, for that $13 million. And, you know, he walks on campus in spring or, or to go to spring and like 
like what what are what are guys saying in the locker room at that point? You know, what are they saying to, you know, a guy who they probably watched all of this unfold publicly in social media and on Instagram and wherever they get their news, whatever. They they watched all this play out where this guy who's their teammate who did not who held out essentially like contract negotiation for this paycheck and when you know you have guys who are not making probably close to that and this is a guy who hasn't played a snap in college football well that's the thing that that should think you hit the nail on the head when you compare it to let's say Caleb Williams who had kind of proven that he was a guy at the mm-hmm. college level when he was at Oklahoma and he comes in and certainly that's a unique situation because he comes in with his coach with Lincoln Riley and Lincoln Riley has a lot of confidence in him. That's a different setting for the locker room for the players that are already there, but you're bringing in a kid, you're bringing in a young kid and he's that guy and everybody who's already been in that locker room, Lyman and guys that you're going to have to depend on that are not making that type of money that have felt like they've produced and that they've, you know, helped Florida win games and things don't go well early on. That isn't something that we've seen before. And it's not the same <laughs> as the NFL at all, because yeah. some of these guys are not getting paid anything. Um, so that's a different dynamic in all of this. That is like, like down the line, you know, this, expectations tell you what else it does unfortunately it greenlights fans to go in hard yeah for these kids there's not going to be any well he's just an amateur young man and a kid and he's a teenager and don't no 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 i i know how fans are we deal with the message boards daily and moderate and once you get a paycheck for something you better go out there and you better produce if you don't then you are fair game to them you're a fair game to them, just like the coaches are and everybody else, and they're going to say, "Fire this dude, take away his money." You're 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 not a player. You're a commodity that was bought. Yeah, and you're not and you're not living up to your price tag. And to be but, clear, and to be clear, this is not an opinion that Chris and I share. This is not how I view things. But yeah. this is the fan base. This is fans are not rational. It's fandom. It's fanaticism right that's where the word fan comes from and they are going to look at this and say you got 13 million dollars which he probably didn't get 13 million dollars but let's say it's three million dollars right you got three million dollars and you you threw more interceptions and you're making millions of dollars man you need to take that money away you go go back to florida go back to miami blah 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 and the boards will blow up and that's you're going to see way more of that and these are kids still and I don't know how they're going to process that. And I don't know how their parents are going to process that. That's the one thing you don't see a whole lot with the NFL. <laughs> you see it sometimes, but not a lot, where, you know, somebody drops a game-winning pass and then the fan base is just, like, you know, on, on them and relentless. You know, Philadelphia fans, New York Jets fans, and they're just killing this receiver because he dropped the touchdown pass. You usually don't see their mom get on the Internet, right, or their dad get on the message board and go, well, you know, forget you guys. You know, you're, you know, blah, 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 blah. But you're going to see a lot of that with these kids because they're still kids and their parents are very protective of them. And when that stuff goes down, yeah, I don't know what that's going to look like. Uncharted, it's frankly a little scary in some some aspects. When you think about it, yeah, when you think about, 
you know, Jaden Rosada, if he doesn't have a good year and doesn't, I mean, what if he's not even a starter, you know, and that, and, I mean, how much pressure then is on the coaching staff? Do the boosters put a lot of pressure? Now that is something that we see in the professional ranks, you know, I mean, I think a, a really interesting movie was Moneyball, you know, where they, where they, you know, the, the, the management wanted the coach to, to start a certain pitcher and they wanted to have a certain, you know, first baseman because they had this statistical sort of, this is what we need to win ball games and the coach had a different opinion. And it's like, I'm not going to start that guy. This is my team. I'm the manager. And that's sort of what you're going to get with maybe the coaches at the college level. Cause you're going to have boosters that are going dude. we paid this kid a bunch of million dollars to go start. You need to get him in there. Like maybe he hasn't practiced that well. Maybe he doesn't look as good as this other, you know, red shirt junior that you have, but we're not paying that guy millions of dollars. Yeah. We're like this kid out of high school. What if you got dollars. a Sam Darnold guy on your team? Who's just like winning the locker room over and you're, but you got the guy, you got the $13 million man, you got $13 million arm there, but there's other guys kicking his ass in practice, but the other guy's still starting. It, it just creates these whole, a whole bag of worms of storylines that, that we haven't seen unfold yet. We mm-hmm. haven't seen it really unfold yet. And that's, yeah, that's what, you know, that's sort of the other shoe to drop in all of this. That and all the legal stuff that's going to go on. I, I said it before. There's going to be freaking uh, all kinds of Ponzi schemes and stuff that come from this. And, you know, and the NCAA is just sitting on their hands. They don't know what to do. They don't want to get sued, you know. And so it's like there needs to be a, more organization. And it's just tough to see how that happens if you don't have a farm system where you just have franchises and owners and people that come together and get on the same page like they do in the NFL. It's right now the NCAA is, is a bunch, it's, it's factions. It's a bunch of different schools with different ways of doing things. I mean, you're trying to bring in, you know, the, 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 the the president and the athletic director from Cal and put them on the same page as the president and the athletic director of the, of of Alabama. Are you serious? You know I mean? That's, that's (laughs) basically what the NCAA is. And people think the NCAA is like this entity that floats around in Indianapolis, but it's really just a bunch of representatives of the, of the colleges. So, you know, the universities, you're trying to bring all these different universities and get them on the same page. It's like, good luck. Yeah, good luck. And I wish all the luck to kids who are getting millions of dollars as <laughs> a college freshmen with all these expectations. I would I would crumble immensely. I would crumble immediately. But I'm not built like that. So, you know, we'll we'll definitely see what is going to happen. But it's going to take, as you said, a couple years to really kind of play out with this first iteration of NIL, this first wave of quote unquote purchases and contracts and, you know, giving money to these kids out of high school. And we'll, we'll definitely see what that looks like, but it's going to take, as I said, a couple years, you know, at least three years to really see what the effects are with some of these, these, these high end prospects that have gotten the first set of deals. And it's going to be interesting. It's going to be fascinating. And we'll, we'll, We'll watch it play out on the football field, in the message boards, and probably in a courtroom somewhere, Gerard. Probably in a courtroom somewhere. The people's court. The people's court. Gotta love the hi-hat. That was pretty good. That was actually pretty good. That that sounded like a real like hi-hat on a not from your your mouth. Sounded like a real hi-hat on a wherever you play a hi-hat. Drum kit? Drum kit? Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. All right. I got it. And we could probably talk about this for for hours, but I think it's time we cut it there and we go quickly into some some little updates on the transfer target list, additions and subtractions. 
as we said, this is a the final day of the portal closing for this window. You needed a you final were... countdown, little. Uh, it's the final countdown, little. Yeah, thing maybe on I your, add your that. Soundboard? that yeah, I think we need a. We need. A, I, I I do need to add Rocky like a hurricane as well. Yeah, you've been kind of uh, slacking on the soundboard. We haven't had any of their back or any of the. Uh, you know, all we got at the end is uh, Def Leppard socks, which is not true. Biggest head I've ever seen. Head like an elephant. Too. There you go. <laughs> just, just, uh, just to show you that I still have it uh, there in the arsenal, uh, big old elephant head. Let's jump into this USC. What's going on in the portal? What's going on in the portal? That that was that oh, was too vague. That was too open of a question. I meant really open what is going on with the target list. That's what I meant. Not what's going on with the portal. That is a too open-ended question for Gerard, and he will go off the rails <laughs> with. 90 million answers. The portal is ending. That's what's going on with it. At least the first it's collapsing window. on itself. Yeah. The window is shutting. It's getting cold outside. We've got to shut the window on the first uh, porthole, which uh, which was, you know, interesting. It was uh, it was fun. You know, had some I would say players. USC did well, did well, did, did well, definitely did well. And like we said, we'll have another portal that will open back up when it warms up in May. And that will be interesting. That was the Jordan Addison portal uh, from last year. So we'll see if USC is able to get uh, any big names um, out of that after spring ball. So that's always going to be interesting. And I'm sure they'll probably have some players that leave um, from that porthole as well after spring football. Uh, you've had this influx of new players that come in. But the only real uh, uh, subtractions uh, from the list in terms of guys that had scholarship offers from USC and a few guys that didn't have scholarship offers from USC but are still notable to talk about, uh, standard Stanford offensive tackle Walter Rouse. Uh, who did have a scholarship offer from USC. To my knowledge, never actually officially visited USC. Um, he uh, committed to Nebraska and then flipped to Oklahoma. So ends up at Oklahoma. Uh, Miami, John Campbell Jr., off to tackle, uh, ends up at Tennessee. Uh, Cows, J. Michael Sturdivant, who was talked about a lot with USC. I'm not really sure where that came from, um, but uh, no scholarship offer from USC. To my knowledge, never visited USC. He ends up at UCLA. So Kyle Ford's got a little bit of competition uh, for the receiver position there with Sturdivant. Similar players. Sturdivant, uh, about 6'3", 205. And we know Kyle Ford's about 6'1", 6'2", about 225 pounds. Um, and then uh, uh, A.D. Mitchell from Georgia. I don't know what that is. Chris, did you put that in there? <laughs> yeah, I wide receiver from Georgia, A.D. Mitchell, big body, six foot four. Texas is the projected favorite to land him. But Chris Hummer, one of our national writers, did put out on Twitter that wouldn't be shocked if USC was also in the mix for A.D. Mitchell. So big receiver, six foot four, six foot three. So just a name to, to keep an eye on. Right. Okay. I just want to throw that out there. Snuck in there because I didn't put that in there. So I was like, hey, I was reading this going. Mm, it was I like, don't I don't remember putting that down. Yeah, I stuck that in there at the, at the very end. I, I, I'm sorry. A lot of people were excited about Oklahoma State defensive tackle, really nose tackle, Samuela Tulalamaka, uh, because he's a big body. A and anybody that's in the portal that's over 300 pounds is basically what USC fans want to see USC go after. He ends up at San Diego State. Um, again, no scholarship offer from USC, but was a name that was bantered about the pair style and uh, Arizona state uh, cornerback, Isaiah Johnson, uh, a local player who uh, originally from Baltimore actually, and then came out here and was going to go to St. Bernard's. And then he basically sat out of the 2020 season. Uh, he is going back to Arizona state. 
So it was a guy that had a relationship with Dante Williams. There was some chatter that maybe he was looking around a bit. I think this was one of those things where he jumped in the portal, wanted to see if he got any offers, if somebody had a little NIL package for him and uh, probably didn't get what he wanted and decided, hey, I'm just going to stay put at Arizona State. So from the players that are notable and the players that had scholarship offers from USC, that's basically all that happened this past week. Yeah, not a ton of – I feel like A.D. Mitchell is probably the most notable one just because USC's name was thrown out there as, hey, just just be on the lookout for this. And he kind of fits that mold of, I guess, kind of the wide receiver. We noted that maybe they'd be interested in a six foot four kind of big body – you know, replacing, you know, Jacoby Lane if, if that doesn't end up working out in the end. But yeah, nothing too concrete has come out of these last kind of portal tinkerings and, and additions and subtractions. And obviously you can still have guys visit and you can still get guys committed uh, out of the portal. You just need to be in there by the end of the day or have your paperwork in. So we'll and see. We'll, and what... we'll review this. We'll, we'll review mm-hmm, kind mm-hmm. of the guys maybe that we thought would be in the portal that didn't end up in the portal and then maybe potentially still end up in the portal maybe next week or the week after. We know we'll kind of look back on this a little bit. I need to update uh, our target list uh, with just, uh, I think, Anthony Lucas. I don't even have him on the commit and uh, of the target list that we need to have. Some of the guys that have offers that have gone elsewhere, I like to list those just so people have a little bit of a running idea of what USC was looking at and who they were serious about uh, in this first window. And then uh, obviously we'll look forward to the second window. Again, that'll happen in May after spring football. And with that, I think it's time we transition to our final closing of this podcast, which is listener questions. If you want to get a question potentially read on this podcast, you got a recruiting question, whatever question, fun question, email us at podcast at usfootball.com. Just make sure you put the composite, 10K, Hurricane, Cilantro Boys, whatever you want to put so that we will be identified and it'll get into my inbox. You can do that. You can also DM me questions, which is a popular method of submitting questions. That is podcast at uscfootball.com. Now, we've had some internet issues, so I'm trying to get us out of here without having to make a thousand little edits. So we're only going to do a couple questions today, Gerard. But I think that's fine. I think that's okay. Uh, I got a couple ones. I got a couple questions. Uh, first one coming from Trojan Wolverine. And based on his avatar, he is both a Trojan and a Michigan fan. I wonder what he would have done if USC played Michigan in the college football playoff. Question for the podcast. How much improvement do you expect project from the USC's defense based on the 2020 – based on 2023? Three being the second year of the system, plus the addition of portal players and 2023 recruits. Well, I don't think they upgraded a whole lot on defense in terms of recruiting and portholes. Um, we talked about the second level of the defense being really the area that they got really better at with uh, Braylon Shelby and Tackett Curtis. And I would throw David Peavy in there as well. I think those three players are potential contributors next year, um, maybe you know could make an impact beyond that and even push for starting jobs maybe later in the season. Uh, but you know up front in the interior, you get Anthony Lucas, and that was a big get at the end, certainly with this first portal window. But I think they're still lacking in the interior to, mm-hmm. uh, to say that they've really upgraded the defense. I think that 
you know, it's, it's debatable that they got better. I, I think you could debate, you know, they got a little better and then you could debate now nah, they didn't really get better. I haven't really sat there and looked enough at what they have and, and kind of watch film to, to really have a concrete opinion on that either way right now. And of course we want to kind of see what they do in spring ball and who stands out um, to get just a better idea of maybe, you know, who's pushing and, and what have you, if, if guys are not necessarily making uh, a big uh, splash into, you know, first team rotation or what have you. So we still have to kind of see a little bit about that. So projecting in the next season, you know, it's hard to know, how much better the defense is going to get. Clearly, there's a lot of pressure there on Alex Grinch. You know, he knows that uh, they've got to improve and they've got to be better. Now, you know, there was a, a, a kind of a long thread there where, you know, people were taking uh, what I was saying about the defense and, um, you know, how they played against Utah and playing Utah the second time and how Utah played against the offense and really more about how Utah might uh, have been a little bit of a preview of how it might be harder for the offense next season. Obviously it's a, it's a tougher schedule next season. You got to play at Notre Dame. Uh, you do get Utah at home, but then you're going to have to play at Oregon and you get Washington at home as well. So it's projected to be a little tougher schedule for USC. And I do think once you have film of an offense and, and sort of personnel, the defense does catch up more than the offense, you know, continues to be able to mix things up and what have you. So um, it wouldn't shock me if they come back to earth a little bit. Now, defensively, you would argue, well, okay, now the, the players at USC, the personnel, the coaches know them better, and the player personnel uh, knows the coaches better. And, you know, Alex Grinch has got a year where now he's seen a bunch of these teams in the Pac-12, like Arizona, um, you know, that, that obviously scored a bunch of points at USC. Um, he's seen Utah now two times. Doesn't USC's defense? sort of rein in some of these offenses a little more, you know, what don't they play a little better? Um, that's hard to say, you know, I, I think that potentially, you know, they, they, they could be better, a little better play calling, maybe a better, a little better use of personnel um, that you, you kind of have a better self-evaluation of the roster this year. But, you know, we saw the defense play well in that 2020 season when, you know, ironically, they had very little in terms of preparation with that new coaching staff. That was Todd Orlando and uh, Craig Niver and um, Coach Soto and that sort of that group that came in and they had, you know, the, the, the COVID year and they weren't going to play football, you know, until kind of the last minute. And they decided to put together that late season, which was a truncated season. It was just, you know, it ended up being six games and the defense played really well that year. Right. So there was some optimism about the defense after 2020. And then you get a full off season and you have the full season in 2021. And they're absolutely positively off. I mean, the defense was really, really bad. So you're going with less coaching. You were better. This this goes back to what I always say about Clay Helton as a quarterback coach. Uh, when you go back to that uh, 2012, 2013 season. Uh, where you had uh, USC going into the Sun Bowl and Mark Barkley ends up going down and getting injured, right? So you have to put in the backup. So at that point in time, the backup was Max Wittick. And so Max Wittick gets the job and he comes in against uh, UCLA. Then he comes in, he plays against Notre Dame and he plays well against Notre Dame. He didn't play great against Notre Dame, but he played decent against Notre Dame. And a lot of Trojan fans were like, you know what? 
kind of interested to see how Max Wittick plays in the future. So fast forward, they get a month off and they're playing in the Sun Bowl against Georgia Tech. And with more preparation and more coaching, Max Wittick looks worse. And that was the first red flag for me as Clay uh, of Clay Helton as a quarterback coach and just as a coach in general. So your guys should not be worse with more coaching. That is a huge red flag. Your guys should be better with more coaching. The more time they have to prepare, they should be better and they should not look worse. So with that defense with Tart Orlando, I mean, they have a full offseason and then they have that year and they look atrocious. So you don't necessarily assume that USC is going to look better. If, if the coaching staff is better and they're good and they develop these guys, USC's defense will be better. And I have to point out, going and citing that thread, one thing that kept coming up was, you know, the defense, uh, it, it was so bad and, and you know, it, it doesn't have to be elite for USC to be a national championship uh, type team. I agree with that. The defense doesn't have to be elite. With this offense, which is elite, um, and even if they are not as good next year, next season, and you shave some points off the per game uh, and what have you, and maybe Caleb struggles more and more games, has more turnovers, I wouldn't be shocked at that just because, you know, people know his tendencies now in the league and you're going to see those teams again. Um, still, I think they're going to be very good. The defense doesn't have to be a whole lot better for them to be a championship team. I just think there needs to be more balance there. And certainly, I think the two things they need to be better – defensively for USC to get to the point where you can start saying, okay, this is a team that deserves and, and should be in the college football playoff at the end of the year. Their run defense needs to be better, much more consistent. Okay. And I think you need to have a a more consistent pass rush. Uh, I think that's something that was sort of inconsistent for them. They, they had some pass rush, I mean, you know, Tuli, Tuli Polocho, I think he ended the year like third in the nation in sacks. But there was certainly not a lot of consistency there in terms of their pass rush. And I think, you know, again, we're talking about front seven. And, and the front seven does um, impact how you play on the back seven. You know, if you're playing in pass coverage, if you're not getting consistent pass rush, then you're going to have those deep passes over the middle. They're going to be wide open. And so USC definitely got to be a better run team, which is to say they got a better, they got to be better tackling their run fits and everything. And I think a lot of that it potentially could improve because they're going to be a bit better at the second level. But I don't know where the pass rush comes. It's particularly in the interior of the defense. That's where they just it didn't happen. And you would like to see Truly Tui Pelotu play more in the middle, but I think he was better at playing in the edge and probably was a better pass rusher from the edge. So USC is like, well, you know, we want that production, so. Let's put them on the edge. And then, you know, when you had the injury to Eric Gentry, you kind of, you know, have to peel him off. And then you start seeing more zone blitzes where you have the defensive ends dropping into coverage. And they maybe got a little too cute with that too often. But there has to be some type of interior um, playmaking there that that goes mm-hmm. on. You know, you've got Tyrone Talele and you've got uh, Stanley Ta'afu. And with all respect to them, they're just not – the type of players that you're going to see in the college football playoff. You're not going to see those guys at Clemson or at Ohio State or Alabama or even Michigan or what have you. you got to have some big boys in the middle that can stop the run but also be good pass rushers. And I think that's sort of where things um, – if they can just improve a bit on that, you know, get their rush defense numbers out of the hundreds, right? Get get those – and I would say, you know, with, with – with that, uh, statistically, one thing that you want to see 
Rush defense, you want to see them become much better at that. If you can get that closer to, like, top 50, okay, now we're talking. You also have to get uh, yards per play down because there are some, some instances in the second half of games where USC gave up some, some drives where there were two-play drives. And, you know, this is a thing of culture, okay? This goes back to the Clay Helton culture, and it's a losing culture, and it's focus, and it's USC going up by 10, 17 points in the second half, and it's like, you know, mid-third quarter, and it's like, okay, USC starting to pull away. It's Arizona. It's Colorado. It's some mediocre team that they're playing, and they fall asleep. They defensively, they have a drive that is just it's not it's like they're not even out there. You know, it's boom boom, the other school the other school uh, the other team scores a touchdown. And all of a sudden that 17 point leads 10 points. Then the offense comes out and they're like, "Ah, eh, three now." Now, eh, we just uh we we're thinking about, you know, fraternity row, we're thinking about what we're going to do tonight and we're kind of not we won this game already, right? Look at, you know, we we've already displayed we can eat, beat this team easily. They're not a threat. And so they go three and out and then another team comes out. And then they score again. And it might not be that quick, quick score, but it's another score. And all of a sudden it's a three-point game. And we've seen this happen. Saw this happen during that stretch where USC was supposed to blow out Arizona. They're supposed to blow out Cal. They're supposed to, like, you know, Arizona State. They're supposed to, okay, this is the easy part of the schedule. And it ended up being this part of the schedule where they had to squeak out some wins there. And that's the kind of thing that's a mentality thing, but that's also statistically it's those drives where you have these huge plays. Listen, you can't be bend but don't break and then give up drives that are like sub a minute and in, in, in the second half. That's just no bueno. So that's statistically something that you need to see. It's the yards per play. It's those big gashing plays that they have, particularly in the second half. You can't allow those. So yeah, run defense, don't allow big plays. Um, if it's bend but don't break, fine. Okay. Pete Carroll played a little bend but don't break, you know. That's not what they they did last year. It was feast or famine is what they did. They they either feasted on turnovers or the other team's offense was just marching down the field and scoring quickly. Our last question comes from Trojan 4005, 40,005. I don't know how to say that uh, correctly, but 4005. 4005. Yeah, there you go. Trojan 4005. Do you guys happen to know what Bookie Radley Hiles has with the USC program. He seems to be around a lot, and he recently was in the video posted by Jordan Lockhart's dad. Feel he, feel he could really help even more with SoCal recruiting. Thanks, guys. Now, if you're not familiar who Bookie Radley Hiles is, he is a former, I think he was a five-star prospect. He was at least a top 100 prospect out of Southern California, I believe. And he ended up playing for Lincoln Riley at... Oklahoma, I believe he played safety or nickel or defensive back. He was a defensive back. And throughout this last season, he was a frequent member of my ghost notes from practice. Like, when is Bookie showing up? Bookie was probably at every practice throughout the season. He would just show up, you know, hang out. At times he would, you know, have sort of the wristband on, looking at plays. He would have a, a, a schedule like the coaches have. You know, I'd see him talk, talking to players, and it felt very much like a player who was beginning that transition from player to former player to now becoming a defensive analyst or you know a support staff guy or just getting into coaching in general and being you know wanting to stick around football. And for a lot of those guys, that's becoming a coach or a 
you know, player, player, personnel director guy or, you know, guy who just, you know, can talk to the kids when they come on campus and, and stuff like that. So I don't really know what his specific role is right now. I'm sure that might be something that's announced in the spring or in the summer or going to fall camp. But I definitely feel like he's going to be part of this program a lot more. What that is, not sure. Maybe he's going to be a student assistant, kind of like the Taylor Mage route. Maybe he's going to go to school at USC, uh, be a student assistant, maybe defensive analyst, whatever. I'm not sure. But he does seem to 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 like talking to the players. He seems to have their respect. And I definitely think he could be an asset in SoCal recruiting, being a, a SoCal guy and know, knows Lincoln's system and, and all that, or the defensive system that they've played in. So... Yeah, definitely something to keep an eye out. I don't have a specific uh, title for you, but I'm sure that will be announced in the coming months. I think it would be great. I think he'd be a great addition to the support staff as a recruiter. Buki is a mover and a shaker, though, and I know he's probably got his fingers in many pies, and he's probably thinking about doing some other things. He doesn't know if he really wants to be a coach, but as a recruiter, he's a he'd be a dude. I mean, he's just a a social personality he was like that as a recruit um i remember when he claimed an offer from usc when he was at inglewood usc was like we didn't offer this kid he's in eighth grade uh he's always been that guy that's just like he's 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 involved you know he knows people and then he's well connected in that way and um and he's just yeah he's a personality and he's he's very sociable so from that standpoint i think locally he'd be a great asset for the recruiting staff and and usc's lost some guys from the recruiting staff. I've been asked about that quite a bit in the peristyle. Like, why isn't Lincoln Riley, um, you know, bringing some, 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 some new blood into the, the, the recruiting staff, the support staff it is, um, you know, you know, you've got Annie Hanson there and you've got that group, which are, are very much about coordinating. How about some of the former players and just guys that are involved in whether it's the seven on seven or what have you. Now there's a lot of, issues with that you know when it comes to the uh, prospects association rule you know you can't go out there and grab just high school coaches and trainers and what have you that have associations with prospects that are not going to be full-time guys you know that's basically against the rules you, you have to give those guys full-time uh jobs um or you know they have to go somewhere else and they have to have two years removed from whatever gig they had where they had the association with guys that you're recruiting so, you know, a lot of people are like, why, why isn't USC bringing in Malik James as, as a guy that could be in the support staff? Like, he'd be a money recruiter. He'd be a freaking beast as a recruiter. Well, because he has an association with all those guys right now, and he's coaching in Inglewood. He'd have to go somewhere like Dixie State for a couple years and then get a job somewhere at a Division One program. You can't uh, just go right into it. That's the old – it's really the Jim Harbaugh rule is what it is. It's called, uh, you know, something associated with a prospect rule. It's got some weird long name, but it's Jim Harbaugh was out there hiring people's dads to be a part of the, the support staff. He got a bunch of guys from Florida and all these other places because he was just hiring family members, which, you know, is obviously not 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 kosher. So, um, you know, but with 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 Buki, you know, he has, I don't think he has any association with any seven on seven teams or anything like that. Um, you know, he's a former college player that probably be able to roll in and be involved with the USC program. And I think he'd be a very good recruiter and a, a very good analyst from that standpoint. But again, I don't know that he's totally sold that that's what he wants to do. I can see with him, he's probably looking around and the entertainment and some other things that, 
you know, maybe he wants to do. So I think that's probably part of why he hasn't been there all the time or consistently. Um, he's just sort of got it maybe, you know, one foot in the door, but isn't necessarily convinced yet. This is what he wants to do. Yeah. And he was the number 46 overall player, number seven cornerback in his class 2018. And you said he was at Inglewood. I know he finished at IMG Academy. Did he transfer anywhere else in SoCal? Yeah, he bounced around a bit. Um, okay. You know, I can't even remember between Inglewood and IMG, but he's a pre- he was a premium guy. He, he was just – we all knew Buki, you know, on the mm-hmm. circuit. You know, he was around all the time. He was chatty. Loved USC. He would have loved to have gone to USC, but USC just wasn't convinced because he's just not real big. And at that point, they were recruiting bigger safeties. Yeah. Well, I, I think we'll see more of him, you know, unless, as Gerard said, he's – Moving on to somewhere else, but seems like he wants to be around USC in the program and Lincoln Riley. So we'll see that in the future. I'm going to cut the questions off there for today, just in case this Internet decides to uh, crap out on us once again. But Gerard, I think we had a good show. You know, there were some technical difficulties. There Lots wasn't a, a ton, a ton to talk about in terms of concrete things. But I think we I think we uh, made some people happy. At least I think so. Yeah, I'm outside in my car right now without my zapatos on, so I'm freezing. But uh, we have to do whatever we have to do to make it work, right, Chris? That's what we got to do. That that's what it does. You get it. You have to get it done in recruiting. You have to get it done on the football field. You got to get it done in the podcasting studio. So I appreciate you, uh, Hurricane, going out to your car to to lock up some better internet for <laughs> as we close out as we close out this uh, podcast. That is hurricane i am gerard and we will catch you next time on composite two-star recruits Did you get